The following podcast may be explicit. It may contain references to and examples of bodily functions. It may also contain infantile humor and profane language. It may also contain some useful information about the tabletop RPG hobby. If you find any of these things offensive, stop listening now. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Eye for an eye, the way that we're rolling, and we got some more ass requiring a toll. We'll shock you, we will awe you. You will never understand all the hurt that befalls you. Opportunity attack, what's that bitch? I got a big back scratcher, you a bad edge. You a weak fight, like a flea bite, and we'll kill you like a pony on the prom night. You never knew what hit you in the lock, wet click, bang or something like a sinner in a jack chick. Little pamphlet, yeah. Thank you for joining us for season 12, episode 11 of Happy Chicks Outrage Podcast. My name is Stu. This is Stork. This is Chris. And I'm Phil. At new people again. Hey! Who are you and what do you do? Phil, go first. Uh, I'm Phil Vecchione. I'm one of the co-hosts of the Misdirected Mark Podcast. Uh, blogger on Gnome Stew. Freelance writer. Uh, owner of Encoded Designs. Um, I'm sure there's a couple of other things in there as well, but yeah, I do a bunch of that stuff. I'm Chris Nizak. I am the the originator and a host and producer of the Misdirected Mark po- podcast and Misdirected Mark Productions. We now have multiple shows in our network, and uh, I do a lot of podcasting, and when I'm not doing that, I write, and I do a little game design on the side, and I've been published a few times now because of Phil and other things, and I just love gaming in general and podcasting about as much. I noticed that. I went to go visit your website. You have, like, a media empire. It's actually really impressive. There's at least two other podcasts on your network, or is it, is it only the one? Uh, yeah, well, yours uh, and the other are, one. There's technically four shows, but the, the Lounge is just our interview show. But the other two shows are the TKV Team podcast, which does video games, and then there's Down With D&D, which is brand new. It's all about the new edition of Dungeons & Dragons. That's pretty impressive. How long have you been doing this? About two years, a little over two years now. Wow. So I want to know who's Mark and why is he misdirected? So Mark Knappick used to be the host of the show before Phil came on. Uh, He quit because he had a kid, and she is adorable. Her name is May. Hi, Mark. You probably won't hear this, but anyways. Uh, He was, um, the original joke is that it was a spoof on one of the fourth edition D&D powers, but really it was because Mark didn't really understand gaming, and I was there to (laughs) instruct him. That's hysterical. (laughs) I like the idea of having somebody on a podcast that doesn't understand gaming at all, because, well, then they're like a blank slate. They're a tabula rasa that you can then use as, like, you know, he's the straight man. Yeah, it's not really true. Like, Mark is actually a very uh, very well-versed gamer. He's one of those crazy guys who goes to Gen Con and runs, like, uh, nine or ten slots. Oof. (sighs) Yeah, he loves it. That's that's his thing. I don't... Wow. That's That's crazy. That gets in the way of my beer drinking. I do like the, the, the concept of a show where you spend all of your time correcting someone. <laughs> that kind of reminds me of us a little bit. <laughs> no, it doesn't, Stu. Let me tell you why. <laughs> it was more of an undertone to the show. It wasn't really the, the primary purpose. <laughs> all right. So uh, let me just... Uh, uh, let's see. We have ga- Gateway? Yeah, let's plug a few holes. Gateway... Labor Day weekend, Hilton, Hilton, the Hilton coming up. That's uh, yeah. August twenty ninth, thirtieth, thirty first, and September first. If August has thirty one days, if it only has thirty, then it's probably the twenty eighth through the first. Yeah, <laughs> and you, and we were talking earlier. You got your game kind of set up. You starting to make a pre gen. My my two games are registered. I'm going to be running L five R. It's going to be uh, four characters who are. Uh, 
other relatives within the Inukai family are going to be going out on a, a separate adventure that is still within the continuity of what's going on in the actual play. And I'm also running a Moment of Truth game, which is my own game, which uh, is going to be a, a modern conspiracy game, uh, sort of conspira- conspiracy mystery game. And the, all of the pre-generated characters for that one are going to be retired old men. <laughs> so it's like this podcast. Kind of. Well, I'm not retired yet. But kind yeah. Of, kind of, yeah. I'm, I'm actually... I, I got a question. Yes. How, how close are you to being done with Moment of Truth? Like, where, where is that at in the, in the writing <clears throat> process, in the playtesting process? Uh, virtually all of the rules are where I want them now, except for the fear rules which are have been completely thrown out and revised and they're going to be they're going to be play tested tomorrow in fact and also at the con and cuz I'm I'm running a, a modern conspiracy game right now and so that's that's going to be the main thing I'm going to test those rules in so that the sort of the basic framework of the game the core rules are almost done in fact I've got a guy working on the on the cover art now um, which I just saw the first draft of which was awesome uh, and I'm going to probably put some, I'm going to try to find some, um, uh, like license free artwork or something to kind of, to kind of fill it in. It's, it is, it's not going to be a for sale product. It's only going to be a PDF that you can just download. Um, if there, if there are going to be for sale products later, they're, they're going to be s- specific settings for it, but it's, it's, it's very close. I would say, uh, except for the magic system. Cause I, I come up with a magic system, I play it for a while, it seems to work okay, and then I don't like it anymore, and then I want to try something else. And so, that I'm right now I'm, I'm struggling with trying to come up with a free-form magic system, but that won't be in the core rules anyway, because the core rules are going to be basic, mundane, nor- ordinary, normal people. It, it, you're so going to have the, uh, the magic toolkit that you're going to, you know, the magic system yes. toolkit that you yeah. release yeah. later. Oh, you want to play mage? Oh, that's going to cost you. Yeah. No, I don't. I, I probably won't charge for that. <laughs> but, but the 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 game, the the basic core game itself. I'm I'm going to guess it will be out before the end of the year. It's awesome. Uh, like this is like version one or edition one of the game. And, and you're doing it easy because Phil's actually published physical books and stuff. Well, actually, you both have. So, I mean, it, this is hard for you. Imagine everything he's had to deal with. I can't yeah, we we spent um, we spent this past spring putting together a uh, Dungeon World adventure that we released. Uh, I think like a month or so ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was a crash course in doing the full end-to-end production uh, between the two of us, an editor, and um, one additional editor slash proofreader. And we learned uh, we learned quite a bit, actually. We learned about revisions. That's what I think. I think our major takeaway was. I think we had eleven when we were all said and done. Yeah, that that reminds me. Remind me, Phil, to ask you a question or tell you a question off the air when we're done with all of this about publishing sure. and stuff. Ooh, mysterious. Not really. Okay. Right. Right. Trying to help a, help a brother out, help a friend out, help a fellow right. boggard out who has talented and needs work. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking. Yeah, about. I know you do. All right. <laughs> So, because I'm I'm doing game prep right now for mm-hmm. the, the game convention. Which, oh, is there anything you guys want to want to plug before we get on? Oh, with I the, do. Oh, go. I do. So, me and Phil are both part of a 
a team that runs a convention in Buffalo, New York. That's where we're both from. We're from the Western New York area. So if you're an East Coast jacker and you want to play some kick-ass games, we run a convention called the Queen City Conquest from September 19th to the 21st. It is at the Buffalo Niagara Convention Center in downtown Buffalo. You can go to queencitycontest.com. We have uh, our special guest this year is Ken Height, the esteemed Ken Height. Oh, oh, I have such a man crush on him. I do, too. He's such an amazing writer. I actually, He actually posts on LiveJournal. Did you know that? Still? Yeah. No, seriously. He's like, It's like him and me are the only people left on LiveJournal, and he posts these wonderful essays. I swear to God. I'll forward them to you. Yeah, but, but if go you're out there, uh, Queen City Con- Conquest.com, and if you throw, if you throw, if, if you guys can throw a link in the show notes, I'd appreciate that. And that's the first time I've ever gotten to do that because everybody that comes onto my show just keeps giving me links for stuff because I, I always do the show notes and they always take me like an hour and a half to put them together. So there. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'll, just, I'll, I'll plug I'll plug a couple of things. We're going to be um, uh, we'll be at Gen Con. So Chris and I are running. We're doing a panel at Gen Con uh, called Play Better Games. Damn it. Um, that is basically a Q and A uh, where we're pretty much going to do what we do on the show, but for a live audience. <coughs> and uh, I've got a panel Thursday morning, which is a brutal time, but it's um, on project management for game designers and freelancers. And I'm doing that with uh, Sean Nittner from Evil Hat and Jessica Price from Paizo. So that's going to be pretty cool. Wow! And, yeah, that was actually it was it was it was really cool. I met Sean. On uh, at the Ennies last year, and uh, we got to talking by email, and I, I, you know, mentioned to him I thought that the topic would be a pretty good a pretty good discussion for people who were in the industry, and he knew Jessica Price from Paizo, who's the project manager for Pathfinder. Right. She is Pathfinder. And, yeah, so we uh, we all got to talking, and we're going to do an hour talk on Thursday morning before the floor opens, so it's, it's a that, dude, that's early like, time. That's like going to Comic-Con and saying, eh, I got this idea for a thing, and the next thing you know, you're on a panel with like Grant Morrison, Alan Moore, and Stan Lee. Yeah, it's it, it's pretty crazy, and I have a... Um, I, both Chris and I are both big Evil Hat fans, so um, we sat last year be- behind the Evil Hat guys at the Ennies, so we were, you know, trying to contain our fanboy moments and look, you know, somewhat professional with, you know, with Lenny and, and all those guys sitting directly in front of us. And, so. and staring at their backs as they get up to go get another award over and over. <laughs> no, that's this year. Oh, that's, <laughs> this, oh, that's this year. year is there. <laughs> this year is, um, you know, where fate is poised. It'll be, it's the fate versus Numenera battle, I think is what the are going to look I like. I listened to your last podcast. It was definitely about fate and Numenera. And don't get me started on Numenera. I have some strong opinions on it, but... Uh. Yeah, well, that's we just could, me. We could talk about that if you're on the show on Monday. All right, well, all right, maybe we will. Yeah, he will. He, he is going to join. Uh, us just a there. just a, a a quick thing. So you guys are putting this con. Well, you're putting this con on yourself, Christopher, or you can can you give us a like a three minute dissertation on what it's like to put on a con? Because we've had a couple of sure. people talk about it, and we've even tried to like just do concerts on our own, and it's hell. I can't imagine trying to put together a con. So you have what five minutes? Go. Sure. So former host of the show, Mark Knappick, is the guy who actually runs the con. He's the con director. We, uh, the first year, we only lost, well, yeah, we only lost <laughs> 800 bucks. So that wasn't so bad. Like, you, you, you always lose money in these Totally. Adventures. Yeah, so the second year, we, we, uh, we made, there was a mistake that was made. We, we misjudged some things, and we got a bad time. We were on Liberty Weekend, and we lost a little bit more money. It was around two grand, and that sucked. Oof, so this year, we were like, well, screw it. We cannot do this again unless we have the money up front. 
So we kickstarted it, and our goal was seventy five hundred bucks, and we made like ten grand. So wow! We, paid, we already paid for the convention center. We already and we paid for our guests to come. We paid for all the swag, every and everything is pretty much paid for. So, uh, what, do you, if, what are you using as the center? I mean, where where is it being held? You know, the, the the Buffalo Niagara Convention Center is a, is a convention center in downtown Buffalo. We have it's a legitimate a, convention center. It's not like an Elks Lodge on the outskirts of town somewhere. Correct. Nope. Yes, this is this is the convention center in Buffalo. That's yeah. cool. Like, that's where they have all, all all the big things and things like that. We have a, a room on the first floor off to the left and some of the side rooms that go with it. I think we have about, uh, last time I checked with the rooms that we added on, we had like 8,500 square feet. We can hold about 400 people. We had 260 people last year. We uh, we're expecting around three hundred to three hundred and fifty. That's this year. awesome, awesome. That's brilliant. So, I know. So it's it's a uh, it's a lot of freaking work. That's what it is. Like, um, <laughs> yeah. you, you have to do a lot of. St- I I couldn't do this in. I I think I have two minutes left. You can't do it in. <laughs> it, yeah, I can't explain this all in two minutes. You have to have a plan. You have to have a good team with you. You have to uh, talk to people that have done conventions before, and there's a lot of them that are out there. So it's not that hard. And then. If you're going to go crowdfunding, you make sure you have an audience beforehand. Because before we even started doing conventions, like we used to do game days around town and things like that through a meetup group called the Buffalo Gamer Society, which has like 750 members that are all gamers. So, and, and we helped build that. Like we were the fir- two of the first 20 members. So that's how you do it. You build a community, then you have a convention. Like you guys could throw a con and probably be fine except our community is scattered hither and yon well all podcast communities are right? yeah that, that's very true they, i mean the, when we first started the show i i took our the boggard mailing list yeah which at the time was like two thousand people yeah and i'm like hey if any of you happen to play role-playing games I've got a brand new podcast and mo- most of them unfriended us immediately <laughs> yeah there were some nerds yeah but yeah <laughs> our, we had a, a very early on, I had a big jump in listenership exactly because of that, because I exploited that. The you said it only, I, I, I don't do this very often, however. Right. <laughs> I figured some of you might care. Yeah. But it's in my interest, so I'm yeah. going to. Um, <laughs> they did, they didn't, you nope. guys don't need to run a con, because you have GameX. Oh, yeah, we've got, we, we have three cons a year. There's really no Literally. good three-day weekend. Like, it seems like every three or four months, the same con comes back. It is. Return of the con. It does. Yeah. Maybe a game day. I wouldn't mind to do a game day, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Um, was there anything else? That was well said. And uh, I only ask this because a lot of people have written in on times talking about making cons and, and stuff. And, and I think it's... I think everybody that plays RPGs, on top of being a failed artist, also wants to do a con. And I think it's interesting to people to hear the trials and tribulations of putting on a con. <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, and and I think it... That is that is the ticket to do a, a to fund a GameCon is is Kickstarter because that's and that's a whole other conversation. That, that's that's a good way to do it because you're not. I mean, I mean, it, to rent a hall and get insurance and all that stuff. Oy. We've done it for the Boggards for shows. It's expensive and it's, it's a pain in the ass and it's a big risk. Yeah, yeah. There's um, you got to okay. ha- almost like I have to have the lawyer involved. There's like this giant paper of you're well, like yeah, I can't read half this. We re- we rented a theater called the El Rey Theater in in near Hollywood. It's a legitimate theater, like you know Santana plays it, there. It holds, it's a, it, it it's holds a big about eight hundred people. Yeah, and uh, it it costs us with insurance like ten grand to secure that room on a Saturday night. And we sat down and figured out, okay, yeah. how many people come to our shows? How much do we need to charge for tickets? Mm-hmm. You know, And we had to print our own tickets and everything like that. We actually went to an actual concert ticket printing company to print them, which wasn't cheap either. Oh, yeah. And 
And I still have stacks of them, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, we, we sat down and we said, okay, here's our target number. We need to have, I don't remember exactly, I think it was 450 people, yeah, I think. That, that sounds 450 right. 450 or 475 people was a break-even break even point where everything got paid for. Yeah. And we went over that by, like, 20. Yeah. Which, and it, it killed me, because, like, the previous show that we had done in in Santa Ana, when, where we didn't book the room, we just got... We just basically got hired in to do the show. We pulled in like almost seven hundred, yeah, or like seven hundred. I know. And it, 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 yeah, that was a, the, that, the thing. It's we, the scary. thing we had to do with the Queen City Conquest was just remind everyone locally that we're not having the we're not having the convention unless you unless you back the Kickstarter. Like people initially were, you know, of the mindset like, oh, you know, I'll just I'll pick up my tickets later, or, you know, whatever. And we're like, no, you have to back the Kickstarter. Because we need to know people are showing up to the. It's kind of like an RSVP. You know, you know, yep. it is, it, it's like pre-ordering the. It's like pre-ordering yeah. your or early birding your tickets. But it, from the planning side, having the money and being able to just go in and pay for everything. I mean, it's paid for. So right. It's 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 happening, and nobody's going to stress out about it, and it'll be. It's going to be a lot of fun. Now, I've talked to people that have funded things through Kickstarter as well, and the whole Kickstarter experience is an adventure in and of itself. I mean, that's that's yes. another bookkeeping nightmare. That's another, that's a whole other process, which is we don't have time for now. But I mean, so you basically did two giant logistical nightmares <laughs> within three or four months of each other. Get get a get a good team together. That's what you need. Yeah, like we, there's like there's like six of us that are the core team, and now we're just getting all of our staff and our our volunteers together and things like that. And we have people working with our sponsors and our our vendors and things like that. It it, it works out well that way. We live in Hollywood. Everyone's out for themselves out here. <laughs> there's no team. There's just usually me and team, <laughs> or me Stu. and my people, <laughs> Stu and me in in team. <laughs> Too not not to change the subject, but to change the subject. I have a question because I'm on Happy Jacks, right? This is this is the RPG podcast that it approaches the RPG hobby with reckless abandon and beer. So I am drinking beer. Excellent. I want to know what you guys are drinking. Oh, so I, I want to oh. know what you guys are drinking though. Well, <laughs> Stu's embarrassed to say it. he's on a diet again. I'm, but... I'm back on a low carb diet because my diabetes is getting away <laughs> away from me. So I'm drinking Michelob Ultra Light. Uh, I'm drinking free beer that Stu a... has left over from his last party, and it's called Great White. Look, I think it's a Trader Joe's thing. I don't know if you guys have those over there. We just we have one. one. Yes, it's yeah. from Lost Coast Brewery uh, and Cafe. Tr- I've, I've been dying to tell you guys because I love this beer. I, I drink um, my favorite beer is from Magic Hat. I don't know if you know the Magic Hat uh, Brewing Company, mm-hmm. but uh, they have a beer called Number Nine. I'm not drinking it right now because I, I already drank it earlier. <laughs> but uh, I'm drinking right now their Dream Machine, which is their Indian Pale Ale, and I've, I also have a Hocus Pocus sitting next to me, which is a uh, a, a pint of wheat ale, a three fourths pint of wheat ale, and I, I love these beers. So uh, Elder Betty, that's their summer brew. It's my favorite mm. beer, and Magic Hat number nine. Those are so very good beers. I've had them, and I know the brewing company very well. Um, they're, they're not... Are they local to New York? Because I don't think they're local out here. I don't think they're local out here. I just love them. <laughs> hmm. I don't think they're West Coast. I'm, I'm, no I'm going to drink something besides Michelob Ultra before the end of the night, goddammit. Oh, no, look at this. Their brewing their brewing places are in South Burlington, Virginia, and Rochester, New York. So, yeah, they are local. That's what I thought. I go. thought they were East Coast. There you go. And what, what, right. There you go. I'm sorry. What are you drinking, Phil? 
Um, I've got a Reds, and I had a whole mess of coffee before the show started, so I'm kind of... A, a Reds? There was a leftover one in the fridge. I had to kill it. <laughs> <laughs> it, was from, it was from the other game night. Left over in the fridge. I, was, All right, I can't I, go on without I'll, a bottle of something. I'll so. buy that. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so, okay, so... On the topic, I want, and I think we've talked about this before, but I'd like to talk about these kinds of things when new people are on because I have agree. A perspective. And I was going to say we've talked about almost everything before, but it, it it is fun to to revisit topics in our old curmudgeonly age, right? And and I don't remember talking about this. But I'm I know. Sure we have. <laughs> It'll be new to us. I want. We we've talked a lot over the years about game con prep or, or con convention game preparation. And we, we long ago, through great amount, great amounts of research and beer, realized that the most important, or at least one of the most important, excuse me, things about con games. One of the things that really makes it for the players is to have a great and a great PC to play. Is to have that great pre-generated. It's my philosophy, absolutely. So I want to kind of talk, and since right now, coincidentally. <gasps> I'm starting to make all the pre-gen characters for my two games I'm going to be running in a month. And they have a con coming up. And they do, too. And I I would like to talk about what it is you want, what gets you excited when you sit down at the table and either look through the, the pre-generated characters or however they're presented. Also, maybe we can talk a little bit about, about interesting ways to present... Presentation? The, the, yeah, the which Kimmy was here. She's done some amazing things. She's done things. some cool things with that, too. Um, but maybe we can talk a little bit about that. But mostly, like if looking at the character, what makes you excited about playing a character? And maybe what makes you like not excited about playing a character? Yep. So, And I'll let you... Since you guys are the guests, I'll let you guys start. I'm going to go Chris. Okay. So uh, the first thing that I love about a pre-gen is if, if it's a unique experience. And that's, I guess this goes with the game, too. Um, I, I, uh, I'm a little picky about the, the kind of games that I like to play. But, like, one time I got to play in a League, in a league of Extraordinary Gentlemen game, and I got to be uh, Walker, Texas Ranger, so I was Chuck Norris. So, of course, you know, I got the roundhouse kick people. And the character worked that way, so that's fun. I, one time I got to play Frylock from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Did your, did, so, is Chuck Norris, yes. though, did your tears, like, feed millions and... And did your beard have an extra fist? <laughs> no, I, I was a little sad about that. I, mean, I couldn't kick Abraham Lincoln's ass. Because, you know, if you've ever seen Epic Rap Battles of History, then you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. If you haven't, go watch it. Anyways, but yeah, so I, I couldn't do that. My, my uh, sharks just, you know, water just wants to be around me. You know, things like that. Uh, it, I couldn't do that, but uh, but I did, like, the first thing I did was an NBC that I ran into. He was, like, a, a colonel in the in the army. I roundhouse kicked him and just fought him for fun. Because, you know, Chuck Norris, he would do that. Right. Says, Hi. So that, okay. yeah, but that's, it has to be a unique experience. Like, uh, there was another time I got to play a character that was, uh, he was the traitor of, of the group. So, like, I had that little thing going on in the background of the game. And, of course, towards the end of the game, I, I totally, uh, blew up the captain of that unit with a, uh, I, I gave him the bomb to go off and I blew it up while he was holding it, trying to go plant it by the, uh, by the vampire. We we're playing like a, it was a Savage Worlds game, that, that Necron, that ne- Necropolis game where you're in the future fighting undead as an army. So yeah. So like, did, fun did, stuff like that. Did the GM say that you were the traitor ahead of time? Was that like a random thing? Or... Because that, that's character. an interesting mechanic on top of so is having this, a cool PC. So it was this a, a thing where you're picking out characters without seeing the character sheet, and you open it up, and and then you discover that you're the traitor of the group? 
No, I, I took the, we, the the character sheets were on the t- on the table. I took it and they were front and back, and I flipped the back over. I'm like, oh, I'll play this guy, and I just kind of walked away. Okay, okay, because I saw he was yeah. So there's that. That's that's uh that's one thing that I like. Another thing is um I like a character to have a flaw, something about them that that brings some drama to the game. And I like that flaw to be tied into whatever is going on in the game at hand. So I, I see the flaw in the character sheet, and then I want to play it. And then I my hope is that through the the course of that story, whatever uh, hooks that the the game master is dropping or, or events that occur over the course of that that con game, that that flaw will cause. So it'll give me a chance to insert some drama into the game. So when you say when you say drama, do because do, I've had games where you know I'm on a time thing, and if it if it the the perfect example I can I, I can think of was when I ran the Ghostbusters LA game, and Gina had picked up a character who had a short had a short fuse and was violent. And, okay, it's and, a GURPS game, right? Uh, it was in Savage Worlds. Oh, and she there. At this spot where this truck had disappeared in, uh, under this overpass, and there's a bunch of police there, and there's like th- this sort of rival psychic. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she has a short and, fuse, and she has a short fuse, and she's violent. <laughs> and so, in front of like thirty cops, she like one punches this woman in the face, and then she like exploded on her damage like nine times, or something, oh! and would have killed the character outright. And I'm like, oh, oh my god, what? This is just and, and and you know I'm looking at the clock. Have a certain amount of time. It's just if it had been a home game, it would have turned that that game would have turned into a jailbreak. Because or, no or a bunch way. of new character gen. Oh, there's thirty cops unloading on four people. There's no <laughs> way in front of all these cops you essentially beat someone to death. Is it L.A. in front of them? Yeah, yeah. They would have. It just would have been. Yeah. Yeah, but and, and, and so, but I kind of retconned it a little bit and said, "Well, he didn't quite kill her," and, and we kind of moved on with it. But when you talk about drama, how derailing do you like that drama to be? Do you want to be able to have the ability to really? Good. I don't want the drama to be derailing. I want the drama to be pertinent to the story that is being uh, created at the table. So, say, say in that instance, like you, you said that somebody has a real short fuse and they saw somebody that they didn't like. Now that person has to make a choice: do they deal with the person that they don't like, or do they do they uh, turn to save the day? And actually, uh, and that, that then the choice actually has some real weight to it, because that's something you could put at the end, or or maybe uh, even in the middle a little bit, because then then they make a choice, like you give them a pertinent choice that actually matters to what's going on. Right. Okay. Because and, and it could it, like you can even warn them, like like if you if you uh, if you beat this lady up. You know, you're probably going to get arrested, or I mean, I, that's a that's a tough situation. I don't know how to t- handle that situation that you just said. Like, the, you, what you did was probably the best thing. Like, yeah, you you knocked her out, and the cops want to give you a hard time, and you should probably run away now. But um, I, I don't know. I, I I like the drama and the flaws. Like, I mean, maybe it's not even considered a flaw because I, I know that you guys uh like like you guys think of ads and advantages and disadvantages from groups and things like that but like spider-man has a flaw like he he's a superhero right but he cares about his family and he cares about people so he always has that that choice he has to make between mary jane and aunt may and then also saving the city right like that's the kind of stuff that and i want balancing to his homework and making yeah. sure that he can pay the rent and yeah he's yeah he's got a lot of that going on i think i think all great heroes have a tragic flaw in them at least one if not many so i want that that's what i want uh, I have a character in my freak show game um, 
of the many. They all have flaws in them, and it's, it's just something that I agree with as well. Uh, the illustrated man, his tattoos, he can call upon powers and such, but his power is, or his flaw is that he's a Russian sailor. He doesn't read English. So, and he's the time where he's like, I can't read this, what? And and it comes into play, but it doesn't uh, derail the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's it's tricky with con games, because it's hard to, like, if you have these characters, you're trying to tie them into the game that you're telling, into the game that's going on so that they actually have chances to to play up these things that are that are on their character sheets because you know if it's on your character sheet it doesn't matter unless it actually happens it, it comes out at the table so right that's that's a trick it needs to be it's, an organic it's thing it's yeah. hard so phil what about what about you what do you what do you care when it comes to characters so i like everything chris said so i'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll look at it from i'll look at it from the mechanical side so i like to play con games primarily for games that i don't normally play in my home groups so I usually use a con game to try out different systems. So one of the things I look for when I pick up a character sheet is I want uh, as many hints as possible about what the character does and, if at all possible, on the character sheet mechanically, how the character does it. So, so like, like what your role in the party is? Yeah, so, I, you know, if you've got a character... And the GM's, you know, built the pre-gen, and this pre-gen, this guy is, you know, primarily... Like, alright, so I did this a uh, year, year or two ago. I was running the um, all-for-one, the Savage setting all-for-one, which is the Musketeer setting. And so I made up, you know, like eight pre-gens. And so, you know, I had a, a two-sword fighter. I had a, a guy who was really good with pistols over swords and things like that. And so in the notes section, that's what I told the player. Like, I told the player... You know, this guy is the best shot in the in the company of musketeers, and this guy he likes to fight with two swords because I, I wanted the person who picked it up to be able to take advantage of how I built that character. Right, and so it's a con be- game. They don't have a lot of time to navigate their way through all of these powers. They they kind of want to know immediately so they could jump right in. Exactly, and if you've never played the system before, then like I want to be as clear as possible. Like you should fight with two swords. Like do that because that's what this character is great at, and that's why I you know put him into the story, or potentially put him in the story based on how many pregens I had. So I like that. Um, I also like if the character sheets put together in a way that, for especially if you've never played the system before, has the shortcuts on it that helps the player. So. You know, it, it's nice when you you know when you're talking about like a character sheet for Savage Worlds. You know, when you put like the little pictures of the dice in for their attributes, and you know, even if you do that right down to the damage rolls, like you know, when you roll damage, roll these two dice, add three, that kind of thing. Um, I like that because that helps the new player. And again, I'm the new player nine times out of ten when I'm sitting at a con game because that's my chance to basically test drive uh, games. And then the other thing, which is like a pet peeve of mine, is I know, and so if you guys do this, then I apologize in advance, but this is my pet peeve. I know some people who make up a a stock set of pregens, and they don't tailor them to the adventure they're writing. So they just put them out on the table, and they let people pick, and then they run the adventure. And, then, and I've had this happen to me, where I pick the guy, and I'm like all excited, only to find out that the adventure that I'm playing in this time around doesn't use the hacker. Yeah. That's and a, now I'm the and I'm the hacker, and you know I'm standing there and I got nothing. That's not a pet peeve. That's a legitimate concern, and that's bad game design. Yeah. So, so don't be lazy. You should make your pregens for your 
for your adventure. I have. Well, Stork is lazy. He does have. I do. You have. I have pretense. <laughs> but here's the thing. I actually tailor my adventure around the characters I have. Mm. I actually give the range guy something to do. I actually give the the hacker something to do. I actually because I know the characters and I want to make sure that every character or every PC has a chance to do something in the game. Because I and have these perfect. pre-gens. It's, it's an ongoing uh, story. So I don't see anything wrong with that. I, I build, and in many ways as a, as a GM, it's kind of neat. Because I'm like, hmm, this is all just a slugfest. I should, I should mix this up a bit. Oh, yeah, she doesn't have anything to do. And it keeps me from making the adventure just a one-note, a one-trick pony or a one-note. Um, the other so, thing I so do, that- and, and I, this speaks to both of you guys' concerns, which is I make guises. That's a word, by the way. Uh, I make characters I want to play. I make mm-hmm. I make flawed characters. I make interesting characters. And every one of the Freak Show characters is something that I would have played if on my own or come up with on my own if that was the adventure we were doing. And I think that, that if you approach a building a character that way, you can't go wrong. Uh, at least if you're not a min-maxer. <laughs> and then the whole party is all full of min-maxers and you can't make an adventure that, that can... Do they get an eraser out and, re- and fix your character sheets for you? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a whole game of just fixing everybody's character sheets. Uh, but I, you completely built this character wrong. Oh my god! <laughs> um, I brought my hero lab. I'm just going to fix this up while you know before while you're getting notes together. Uh, and and just and just as you were saying, I have roles for each one of the characters I've developed. I have, with the freak show, I have a range guy. I have a melee guy. I have sort of a jack-of-all-trades person. I have a healer. I have a, a sneak or a thief. So I have all these roles worked out. And, and I, yes, the characters got brought back. And people love to replay their, their characters. They come back to the con and they're like, oh, I get to play the, the dog boy again? Yay! So, well, so in I a way... I think your approach is good. Because what you're saying is that instead of just having a, a stock set of characters and you're just going to make an adventure that, ap- that applies to a, a percentage of them, that you're just making sure that the adventure you're creating matches, fits all of them. Absolutely. And the, yep. the other pet peeve of mine, it also ties in with yours, is just unreadable character sheets. No. Yes. I hate that. Have you, how many times have you, somebody's just dropped down like a handwritten thing and you spend yep. most of your four hours, because you only have four hours to play a game, trying to decipher what it is they wrote down on the sheet? Yeah, I, I like I like sheets that are um, I like sheets that are well laid out and and even if that means taking a little extra time and putting them together. I, in fact, I did a game last year and I only did it for friends. I didn't even run it as a full convention game, but I ran it for friends in the evening at uh, at Gen Con. I did a uh, fate version of the 1980s A Team, so I made up the A Team nice. characters. And uh, Chris actually helped me out because he's pretty handy with layout and. We did them looking like dossiers. Nice. Yeah. So they had the picture and, you know, everything. And Chris laid them out. Um, They just awesome. And they were fun. Like, I, I, you know, I I put them in sleeves and I handed them out to all the players. And everybody, you know, that one was easy because I played with a bunch of old guys. So everybody knew, you know, who the roles were. And you had to do the BA voice if you were going to play BA. That was the only requirement. Ain't flying, Hannibal. That's right. (laughs) That, that actually was his. That was one of his uh, aspects. Yeah. I ain't getting on no plane. Ain't getting on no plane. <laughs> <laughs> Stu's got a bunch of questions. The no, I don't have questions. I, I just I, I've been taking some notes, and, and I, I, I want this next con that's coming up. The the way our cons are structured, if you run two games with six players and they're four hour games, 
you get what's that 40 48 player hours i i, I don't you get i don't math six players <laughs> Four hour games. That's what are you trying to work out? Hour wise? Yeah, because if you if you play if you if you run forty eight play, I think it's forty eight player hours. Oh right, you of, get of game. You, you don't have to pay the pass, forty bucks, right? Yeah. So I've always had six players in all of my games. I think six is too many. Uh, by I, one, when I'm coming up with pregens, <laughs> and this is the biggest problem. I first off, I think it's the biggest problem, and and I think Phil has already touched on this. Is I find it difficult to come up with six unique character archetypes that will all be useful yeah. in one adventure. Now, if you've got something like Shadowrun, where you've got you've got mages and you've got hackers and stuff like that, I think that would probably get a little easier. However, in a typical fantasy game, you're going to have a healer, you're going to have a range guy, you're going to have a close-up guy, you're going to have a mage, uh, and you're going to have uh, uh, a sneaky guy. Mm-hmm. Right, there. That's what five. Five. Okay. What's your sixth guy going to be? Right. That's why I ended up putting in like the jack of all trades. You can sort of do everything. The he problem could, I've had with doing that is he's always second best at, at a, a couple of the other things, right. which means he never gets the up unless, unless the party splits, which they usually don't. But if it, unless that happens, he never gets a chance to do anything because he's always someone with a better role. Instead of jumping in in melee or jumping in range, right? I ran a. That's actually. The, the ways I've addressed that, like when I ran the all for one game, I, I, you know, of course I didn't have enough different roles. So, and there are musketeers, so they've all got swords. Right. But I did, I did vary it up by, um, I think I made one guy, he was more of a brawler that he, he had a sword, but he didn't really like to fence with it. He liked to just, you know, he was huge and he wanted to beat people up with his hands. But, and I've done that with, um, other fantasy ones where I've gone two fighters and I've got, you know, traditional board and sword guy, so then I give the other guy a polearm. So, they're both fighters mechanically, but I've, but I've differentiated them by giving them like a different fighting style. And, I don't know, I think that's the best, but I'm actually with you, Stu. I, I understand that for a con game it's always nice to open up seats, and I've done, like, Savage Saturday Night where you know, you're not supposed to turn anyone away so you, you prep, like, you know, eight pregens or something, but my favorite is if I can get four or five people at a table. That's to me like the that's the sweet spot. I think After, I agree. It's harder when you start piling on more people. I think you are doing a disservice to the other players at the table by by adding more people in. Mm-hmm. That's why I've been a hard ass about this. I think you're doing a disservice yes. to the game in for, general for like two two years now. And yes. it's like no, I'm not adding anyone. I made six characters. It's all I'm, I have. Right. Or, or if I have eight characters, here's some choices. I've mixed the genders up in case because some some games it, it's all guys. Yeah. And then the next session I run, there's four women and two guys. So now mm-hmm. I try to make at least like three or four female characters and three or four male characters. Set them out because people sometimes want to play their own gender or they always want to play the opposite gender. Who? Well, whatever. And and then. People can pick them out, and it's like you got. Do you have extra characters to play? No, sorry, yeah. I'm yeah. I'm going to be that dick, and no, you can't. I don't, and I don't, I'm being, you're not wrong to do that. I don't know. I'm, I'm being more of a dick now because <laughs> the games I'm running at this next con, four players, four, awesome. four players each. I'm not running six player games anymore. Wow, I, it's too hard. It first off, it's hard to come up with unique characters that aren't going to overlap with someone else, so you end up having a fifth wheel, right? Or third leg fourth what <laughs> fifth wheel actually does something kind of like a truck anyway so does a third leg <laughs> kind of like a truck 
Think about it. Yeah. <laughs> we need to come up with a new phrase. <laughs> but I, I, I'm I'm sick of coming up with trying racking my brain trying to come up with six unique character concepts that don't overlap where everyone can be useful. It's so much easier just to say, here's four characters, and you know what? If you end up having a deficit and you don't have enough of a skill set to do it. To me, that's even better. You're going to have to improvise. Someone's going to have to make a default skill roll and hope they make it. I was going to say, fuck your easy shit, man. What the hell? This is about the the game, right? But, no, you're right. With four people, it makes the game more tense, makes the game more interesting, and it'll play faster. Because there's less people trying trying to chime in and come up with stuff. And I think... Here's the thing. Go ahead. You got it right... You got it perfectly right, Stu. When you said like, you're, and you two start, you're like, you're doing a disservice to the players. The less people you have at your table, especially when you get down to like three in that three four range, you're just giving these people more spotlight time in the game. They can do more things now, and they get to and the and they get to be more a part of the story. So you're actually giving them more entertainment for their value, and it's fun for you too because you're not having to worry about manage five or six people. You only have to manage three or four. Right. They get a lot more quality of play, and I mean. I know what it's set up. It's set up as up to six players, but we get six players it's sold out. Six. Well, it's we get six sold out in eight minutes. Right. Um, that drives me crazy. <laughs> 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 and, you know, and I know why they do it because I mean, if everyone did that, <laughs> then suddenly there's not enough GMs, and there's going to be people sitting around not being able to play. And there are other and games out there that don't get filled up. I mean, we're we're in the envious position that people jump on our games and they get sold out. Immediately. So, uh, we think we doth protest too much. (laughs) (laughs) I have a couple of things that I... So, I I very rarely play. I've only played in... Maybe one or two I know, and that bothers me. You need to go out there and play more. And usually they're pickup games. (laughs) Little pugs. No, not necessarily. Yeah, so the last couple of times, it's always been like, Hey, Stu, let's go out and play a game. Let's go find a game. And we drag you along and subject you to something. That's totally another topic. Yes, it is. But <laughs> and we play games. But the the, the things that I, the very few times I've played, the, the things that irk me because I always I always take things from the negative. It's the things that bother me, and then is there a way to fix that that would be a positive? Right? Yeah. And the the first thing that irks me is if I look at the character and I do not have a firm idea of who this person is. Right. Yep. I, I want and. Shorthand, like going with common fiction or television or character archetypes or something like that, I think is a, is a brilliant way to help with that. Mm-hmm. So you you like want a paragraph or this no, should it be the name? But <clears throat> for instance, here, here's the way I did it right. Ah, <laughs> when I when I did um, the Ghostbusters game, I went and found pictures of people on the internet who I thought characterized characterize the character that I had just made. And like one of the guys talked to ghosts, believed ghosts were real. There it was very unclear whether or not he actually was talking to ghosts. You left that up to the player. I left that up to the player. Which is cool. And I went and I found a picture of Christopher Lloyd when he played Reverend Jim from Taxi. Oh, and I, that was the that oh, was the picture. Oh, I remember lessons. And so when the guy sits down <laughs> with the picture he's like, "Um, I think we have a problem. Oh. You know, and immediately he knows right away, oh, I know who I'm playing. You know, and yeah. you can take it. What's a yellow light mean? <laughs> Slow down. Slow down. What? 
That's what that is right up there with God is my witness. I, I thought, thought turkeys could fly. fly. Oh. But that that's something for me that would get me excited is if I can look at the character sheet and I can either buy a picture or even if it says uh, this guy is like so and so from this movie. I mean, even yeah. it doesn't even have to be a big, huge role. But I mean, right I'm right now. I'm watching uh, uh, Homeland on because I have uh, Showtime Anytime, which is their like you can go and and watch all of the old episodes of all their all their shows. Right, it's the uh, first one's free thing. Right? No, it's you like, watch it. Oh, oh no, no, I know, but it yeah. gets you hooked, and then you got to. Oh, I'm going to catch up on the new one. Oh, I got to pay. No, no, I, I, I do pay. You don't get access to that un- unless you have this service, unless you go through something. Well, that's just that's something just, illegal. That's anyway, just bad. But I, I, right now, I'm binge watching uh, Homeland. But like, if if you were to say, if you were to say, oh, this guy is like, uh, uh, what's, what's his name, Manny Patinkin? Yeah, uh, from Homeland. <laughs> immediately, no. Okay. Now, now the, the risk with doing that is, which we ran into in when we did the play test of your game where everyone plays Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford is yeah. I, the character I got because it was all Harrison Ford characters in different films. Everyone was playing a different right. Harrison Ford character. Uh, to, to, to give you guys a little context, uh, we were playing Tales of the Floating Vagabond, and uh, so C.A. Dave and I decided that the whole game would everybody was going to be a Harrison Ford character from one of the movies. So we had Indy, we had Han, and uh, and then, of course, we that's two, right? So then what do you do? So we ended up going through the list of Harrison Ford movies, and Stu got one of the obscure ones. Well, I got one of the... F- the only, I think the only Harrison Ford movie character, when, we, and it was a movie I had not was seen. Was it Ali Fox? Is that the one you got? Or no, did you get I, the one from The Fugitive? The Fugitive. All right. I had seen the old TV okay. series, but I had not seen the, the film version of it. That that film is kind of popular. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not passing any judgment. <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying. I'm just saying that, that film was kind of popular. It was, but that was it. Just happens the character I got because you had like you listed on. Well, th- th- that's going to segue into the right. next thing I was going to talk about. So finish your thought, and then we'll we'll bring that back. But it was difficult for me because I didn't know who this guy was at all. I had to kind of look at the character sheet, and all the information I had was basically mechanical stuff off of his character. And we had the DVD cover. Come on, what more do you need? It's the one-armed man, right? I no. Well, I remember the one-armed man from the TV show when I used to watch it on Nick at Night when I was <laughs> in my twenties and up all night. Yeah, up all night and abusing my mind with chemicals. Your mind, yes, right. <laughs> and I don't remember much, but um, but if yeah, if I can look at a character sheet and know either from a visual cue or a, a brief description or you know the name of a character from from something that I've seen, um. <laughs> <laughs> then that that definitely gets me excited because the thing that kills me the most when I'm when I pick up a character same thing happened in in uh, uh, Tyler's ran a Pathfinder game which I never actually got to play in because because my schedule because um, things but we made our characters and then he said okay everyone put your characters away and then he ran uh, Weeby Goblins mm-hmm. and I got what one of the Goblin you? characters yep, and I'm like good. I don't know who this guy is because I. Yeah, I just I, I don't know. It was a mage, I think. He was he had he had like a couple spells. He had like a wand or something he could like do stuff with. I don't remember, but I'm like I could never. It took me like half the session to really kind of grasp who this guy was, and I really wanted. I can see that. I really and 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 that to me is kind of frustrating. And, you know, in contrast, we played a game 
C.A. Dave ran a, a one-shot of Traveler. We rolled up all of our characters, and then he ran... On it, the it was a module. Yeah, Back was, when they had... Yeah, it was one of the, old, it was we one had modules. The, it was a free RPG day thing. Yeah. And and we and I made the character and but I built the character going up and and the, you know going through in my mind okay well I want to go into this oh I didn't get into that so I'm going to go into this instead and you can kind of build a personality as you're going and I hit the ground running with that character right and it I I think as a GM running a con game that's the hardest thing to do is to come up with clear concise interesting characters that people can grok and want to play I mean that's that's the challenge I think for me as a GM, which is why I, I bring it back to what I said, which is I make characters I want to play. Right. But then I try to make it really clear. I mean, uh, again, in Freak Show, I have a character called Maggie the Cat. What do you think she does? Licks herself. Right. On, but other than that, she is. She's actually a contortionist. What else does she do? Probably can jump and climb. She's the second story man. Okay. Yeah. So. It's right there in the title, and then I gave each person a little backstory paragraph, too, because I want, having gone into con games and picked up a character sheet and spent half the game trying to figure out what this character can do, it's frustrating, you know, especially when the GM starts throwing stuff at you, thinking, all right, you've got all these powers, go do them. It's like, I haven't even gone through the power sheet list. I don't even know what I can do. I don't even, whoa, all I got is a name. It just says Strider-esque Ranger. What? 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 I, I don't know. <laughs> so... I, I think that's important as a GM when we're making con game thing. Now that segues into something else I was going to say, which is about presentation of these characters. Do you want just a handwritten cr- in crayon and, or pencil sheet just drop down in front of you, and you know, and a muttery GM says, mm, you, "You can name it whatever you want," or do you want like a nice, clear presentation so everything's right laid out in front of you and you know where to look for your powers? Because there's nothing more frustrating to me than a convoluted character sheet. Because that will also take the other half of the time trying to figure out where stuff yes. is. Yeah, have fun studying layout then. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, like, it's, it's a whole science unto itself. But you know, I mean, just look at like six different character sheets and you'll figure it out. That's that's you one know? of the reason I love character generators is that it shortens my my time with con games because I can just go to a character generator, drop in pictures, and hit print, and everything. Everybody's character sheets laid out the same. All the powers are there, and I will go through briefly about where to look for stuff. For for a moment of truth, uh, I made a care. I've made a character sheet, and I did it in open office draw. Draw, I think, is the program. yeah. You're good with that stuff. You, I'm, oh, I'm right. You're actually really good with layout. I, I, yeah, I did a lot of it when I used to work for McDonald Douglas, and I figured out how to make fillable PDFs in open office. Ooh! So I can actually. I don't oh. actually have to handwrite them. I can actually make a PDF, type in the character in the PDF, so everything looks pretty. And then save that as its own. Dude, instance. that goes a long way. Having a clear, yeah. concise character, especially for a con game, because you know that figure out how to people do aren't going to be like creating their stuff on their own. If, if everything comes pre-printed and you can just look at it and go, "Wow, it's all right there," even in different colors. Like here are all my here's all my magical spells in blue next to the black. Oh, cool uh, stuff like that. It seems like a small thing. It go take the extra fifteen minutes to figure out how to make something nice in a PDF or Open Office or Microsoft Office or, or take the time to to find a character sheet program and make it work. Because God, I love to sit down in a con game and somebody hands me a folder and it, maybe it has a description of the character, maybe it just has a symbol. Um, and that's what Kimmy did. She had like a bunch of symbols and people picked these folders and opened it up and there was a clear character sheet with a picture and powers and everything all laid out and you can read it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's a oh go ahead no 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 I was go I was going to ramble on and on and on but go ahead oh I, I was going to give a shout out there's a there's a guy on G plus his name's Carl Kessler 
and he is prepping his um, he's prepping a game for Gen Con. He's been putting up pictures on G Plus as he's been putting together character sheets, and these character sheets are incredible. He's doing this eighties um, action heroes come together to fight some sort of evil. So he's got all of these great um, 80s movie characters uh, put together. I'm trying to think of who he's got. He's got uh, Doc Brown. Black and Dynamite, right? Isn't that one of them? Yeah, I think so. And and he the pictures he's got of these sheets, and they've got the picture of the actor, and he's got all the stats on the back, and he laminated all of them so that like when you pick them up at the table, they're, you know, they're not going to get mangled so that, you know, three times that it's been played, the sheet's not all busted up or anything. It's, But it's really nice. And he did a really uh, awesome job laying out those sheets. And it's the kind of thing that if you sat down at that table and looked at that pile of sheets in front of you, you would not only know who you were playing, you'd be excited to pick up the sheet and, and get into the game. I actually put all of mine in those legal folder binders that have uh, two or three. And then we did it with your... Yeah. Uh, and it... And, you drop down this sort of, it's not Manila, it's that sort of dark brown, you know what I mean, right? I don't know, yeah. you, I don't know what the name of them is, mm-hmm. but you open them up, and then and then once you open them up, you can actually flip every, the characters up, so you can put page upon page. They're, doctors use them, lawyers use them, and, I, I, and they're not cheap, but I bought a bunch of those, and I put all my character sheets in there, and then I, I, I can drop them down in front of each character, and everybody's, you open it up, and it's all organized, pre, pre-organized, it's set up, and... I think for a con game especially, you want to make everything you want you want to get everybody into playing quickly. So the less time they spend looking at their character, trying to figure out what stuff is, the less time they spend trying to figure out what their character can do, the more time you have to play. So as a GM, the more you the better you can make your character sheets, the faster you're going to get into playing your game. Right. Um, yeah, and I think I think you can extend that and say that not only the character sheets, but if you have a couple of quick reference cards, like when I play Savage Worlds, I have. A, I think it's from the Game Master screen inserts. There's a uh, box that has all of the special combat moves, and the, each one has just a one-line description of what it does. So I have two of those laminated, and I put them out on the table for the players. So if somebody doesn't remember exactly what Wild Attack does, they can just pick up the card real quick, um, take a look, and then put it, you know, put it down and, and keep playing. I, I've done that one better. I've actually, there's a, it's online, you can get it anywhere, but it's a player's placemat, and I've I printed it up, and I printed it out, especially for Savage Worlds, and it has all the various dice, and it has each of, you know, uh, uh, it has what you need to get when you get a raise, it has uh, maneuvers and all that, all laid out in front of them, and so each player has a little placemat in front of them that has all that stuff laid out for them, and I, I appreciate that as a player. I've played GURPS a few times, but if somebody drops a little player's mat in front of me that has special maneuvers, what dice I need, what I, that just shortens everything. That just makes my life easier. Now all I have to do is move my character sheet. Oh, uh, that's my target number? Done. Uh, that's the kind of thing as a GM you need to consider for your con games, and it's the kind of thing that makes players want to come back and play your games again, again and again and again. It's, it's about making the players welcome, comfortable and making your game interesting and memorable mm-hmm. I, I don't know i i find that a big responsibility it's one of the reasons con games are stressful because I, I nobody wants to suck but you want your game to be memorable and you want your game to be enjoyable to people Absolutely. yeah i agree and I, I i think you know compared to what i prep for a home game the amount of prep i do for running a four-hour con game is like four times as much oh yeah. easily 
easily. Right. That, that's my home game, it's like, you don't know what Wild Attack is? For God's sakes, how long have we played this game? Pick up the, you know, <laughs> pick up the game, figure it out. Come on, Stork, it's roll and keep. That's and, you know, and that's one of the reasons that uh, the freak show games have worked so well is I've only made six characters and I can keep reusing them. Right. I don't. I now all I have to do is work on maps. And you know, that, props the nice thing stuff. about doing it that way is you n- already know the characters. You know uh-huh. what their flaws yes, are. Yes, I do. <clears throat> and I can build interesting adventures around these characters with with a right. at least an, at least a moment in each adventure that these people can do. Do you guys have any more? I want to. We're at fifty five minutes. I want to move on to the emails. Do you have anything else about? Uh, what you want to see in pregens that you want to talk about? Uh, all I can say is that I'm terrible at this stuff. Like, <laughs> I, this is, if there's if there's a weakness that I have, look, man, like I I play games like Dungeon World, so when I run them, I show up with the character sheets and they get to make them as part of the game, which takes like five minutes. Great, and I'm also one of those guys that, that has competed in Iron GM in the past, which part of that competition is the people at the table make their characters. I, by the way, like I've come in second and third in that competition, so I'm like. Running a one shot, no problem. With no prep, I can even do that. But making making pregens is hard. So I'm gonna listen back to this later and, and take a bunch of. <laughs> I, I challenge you to actually go to a con game and sit down to somebody that spent the time to make really great characters, and you'll go. It'll be an epiphany. You'll go. Wow, this is oh, this is neat. Oh, I've done that. We've I, got I've seen a, some great characters, and we've got four. We've got four. Con, con games we need to run at Gen Con so Chris and I will be working feverishly on character sheets in the next week or two well here's the secret yeah. just build them once and then you can just reuse the same characters <laughs> Tyler does it well, I do it There's, it works out fine they're already built we just have to lay them out pretty yeah and they're actually built for two different systems because we're running the same adventure once, uh, twice in Fate and twice in Savage Worlds <laughs> that's funny Stork ah. just came up with that same idea for this convention. I thought it was original <laughs> He's running the, the same adventure seed, <laughs> right? Two different, two same adventure seed in two different uh, systems. Yeah. All right. Let's go on. Uh, the first email is from Lucas. Would one of you like to read Lucas's email? Oh, I would be happy to. All right. <laughs> there was a really long pause. There's a there's a little bit of a lag. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's but... where Chris and that's that's the pause where Chris and I try to figure out which one of us is going to go first. So, yeah. <laughs> We're going to default to Chris going first in all things. All right. All right. Dear Happy Jackers. I was wondering if any of you have ever used Yes And with yourself while writing a campaign, quest, or world. Let me explain what I mean. I just got back from listening to my brother Matt talk about and read from his novel In the House Upon the Dirt Between the Lake and the Woods, and he was talking about how he came up with the idea for the book. He literally used the words Yes And when describing it. He starts getting ideas from a single sentence or paragraph and thinks I wonder how that works, or I wonder what that is about and then moves on, essentially using himself to fill out the mysteries left by the first ideas. His book started with an idea about a husband watching his wife sing and imagining shapes being created by them. Then later he wrote a sentence about a bear watching from the woods and thinking what it had to do with the story. After creating all these mysteries, he figured out how they connected and made a story. I could see that working with the camp- I could see that working with the campaign. Start with a few themes or ideas, then figure out how those might fit together into a story that you and your players could dive into. P.S. This is a shameless plug, but if you like things like the grim fairy tales or other dark myths, you might like my brother's book. It is a dark tale about husbandhood slash parenthood that can be disturbing, but when it grabs a hold of you, you can't put it down. Also, did I mention there is a giant bear and a squid? And maybe a fight between them. Find it on Amazon or a bookstore near you. 
P.S. Sorry about the plug. Drink! <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to drink the rest of my beer, by the way. Um, I have... I have okay, in... in, in uh, full disclosure, the, the S-and that we, that we plug here is, is, uh, is an old improv theater uh, trope or, or exercise. And we apply it to, to role-playing because it, it's, that's what we're doing is we're improving and coming up with stuff on the fly. And I, you know, the, the, in many, many books they talk about the no but and no and and no. And no is a blocking word. No, you can't do that. It immediately puts it, shuts everything down. But yes and completely invites everything. And it, it allows the, the, the players uh, or actors to, to come up with new things. And it allows the GM. It gives him the... the um, reasons or excuses to actually work along. Yes, and here's what happens next. So it's a much more open way to accept a challenge from a player rather than blocking. So I, I would love to say that we came up with that, but we haven't. It's, I think, Des, Del Close, perhaps, from his improv group? Well, yeah, maybe. But, I mean, I mean, applying it applying it in the, in the creative process of coming up with a game, I, that's a natural extension. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean... If you think back mm-hmm. to the when, when 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 you first learned about brainstorming in high school or junior high school or whenever you there learned, are no bad ideas exactly the, the whole idea is everything everything gets everything gets due consideration because that even if it may not be a great idea it can be a stepping stone for a, a, something else right exactly and and I think and that I mean I think that that's a very natural way when you're coming up with an adventure is you say okay what well, what would happen if this and this were there, and then you and then you just start. You immediately you're going to accept that idea. So then you go on for that. Well, what would be the consequences of that? Oh well, this would happen and that would happen, and then you start building the framework of the story. I can see that. I mean that. I think that that may be the default way to do it. I think. Well, it seems natural to us, but I don't think it's a default thing for every. I mean, it's 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 an eye opener for a lot of people to to just accept and build on. So do we lose them? So. When you're s- oh, there you are. No, I'm here. So when you're sitting, yeah, when you're sitting down and you're about to uh, put together whatever ideas you have for your campaign adventure or whatnot, this is a great technique. It's a creative technique. Um, my, uh, not that it matters. My degree is in creative writing, um, and I did a lot of stuff like this when I was studying the the creative process. So it's just sort of like free association. Like you get a bunch of ideas down, then you go back and you look at what you've got there, and then you start connecting the dots. Um, also, this book, In the House Upon the Dirt Between the Lake and the Woods, is apparently a very well-received and well-read book, and it's a piece of uh, sort of modern fiction. So it's got a, a little bit of Samuel Beckett kind of stuff going on there. So uh, if, you, if you're interested in stuff like that, you should check it out. But, um, I could see, yeah, like, I could see Samuel Beckett idea. in Yes Handing completely. Because Samuel Beckett's very theatrical. A very there's, there's nothing... There's no... There's no wrong way to do anything. It's everything's acceptable. Everything happens. Yeah, very, very rhythmic, very, yeah. uh, very associated, uh, associative. That's uh, the word. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, th- that's what this is. This is just getting a bunch of ideas down on paper so that you can go back and look and and put them together. Right, and and I'll extend that. I I hate creating campaigns in a vacuum. I mean, I don't I don't like to you know sit at my desk you know crafting my, you know, my perfect campaign world by myself, I actually like to pull people in, either people who are going to play the campaign as players or pull in people who I just want to I want to work with, like, bounce ideas off of. So, Yes End becomes, you know, a natural extension of that because it's a collaborative process. So, you know, I may throw out something like, oh, you know, I, I think this, 
I think this game, you know, this musketeer game would be good, and somebody will be like, yeah, but there's also airships. Yes, there are airships, and it's replaced, you know, waterborne navy. Great, let's see. That's you know, the let's go from there. that's the end part. I've, a lot of people get the yes, and you even said yes, but it's a it's yes, yes. You you accept what they've given you. Yes, your your paladin takes a swing at the at the guard, and <laughs> now all of a sudden you have to come up with something else. It's the GM, and is the is the tricky part. That's what people forget. Yes, yeah. anding means that now you put yourself in the story and you're collaborating with them. You're not, yes, but, yes, except. It's yes, right. and. You're building on what they've given you. It, yeah. It's a small distinction, but the word and is a powerful word. <laughs> yeah, and, I, mean, I, I, I subject my wife to many of my campaign uh, building schemes because... She doesn't play, and so, but she's a great sport about listening to me go on about this stuff. And yeah, she's fantastic in coming up with these, you know, additional ideas. And I do my best to yes and them because I want her to keep talk, letting me talk to her about game stuff. So I, <laughs> right, you, know, <laughs> you want to encourage you know, your wife in all things because otherwise you're you'll be sleeping on the couch. Yeah, or you know, or you know, she looks at me and goes, "What are you thinking?" And I'm, you know, I'm thinking game stuff. Of course, I'm thinking game stuff. So, you know, then I tell her, and she, you know, tries to be a good sport about the whole thing. But she'll come up with ideas, and you know, I want to, I want to bring them in. And a lot of times, she comes up with these really great, these great additions to things I'm building. And I, I guess what I'm saying is, I think if you're designing stuff alone, yeah, like Stu said, it's a natural collaborative thing to kind of extend your ideas with that, that brainstorming, nothing's bad. And if you're building a campaign world with someone, you have to do it collaboratively. You, you have to, you have to take in that, that yes end approach in order to blend different ideas together. Yes. Yes. And, and the next team it's great for your players as well you want to you don't want to block what they want to do if they want to be awesome yes let them be awesome and build on that and yeah and if you want to build your campaign world with your players that i think that's even cooler yes and on to the next email <laughs> so so who was that that was phil the red or chris that was chris that was chris all right so phil no, you get oh wait all right so my, my, got, is it michael yeah. yes it is michael Hey, Happy Jack's crew. Uh, Michael from Indiana again, which is ironic because I have a brother-in-law in Indiana, but I don't think it's this guy. Um, when I'm playing D&D, I don't usually worry about trigger issues. Though I, do try, though I do try to have brief lines and veils talk at the beginning of anything with darker themes. I think Hour 11 mentioned that the lines... Uh, the lines, part of the lines and veils. Okay, to, to be clear, Hour 11 is one of our listeners, so <laughs> it's not a game system. I was guessing that. Okay. Okay. Uh, I personally like to have both things in my games. Lines are things that are just not allowed to come up in a game, while veils are things that players are uncomfortable about, but willing to allow to be in the game as long as they're done off-scene. There's a second technique called an X card. You put a card on a table anytime a player's uncomfortable... With what is happening, they touch the card. The scene ends, and no questions are asked. This can be, I'm uncomfortable with this graphic betrayal of child rape. Yikes. To, hey, jackass, we're trying to have a serious scene. Stop making wood for sheep jokes. One thing I've noticed with X cards is the GM should, early in the first session, use the card for something. 
if you break the ice, other players will be more likely to use it. To give you guys some context, this is uh, this is about a a topic we had about triggers. Um, you know, sometimes people yep. get carried away, and we and we've all seen it happen. Especially because guys, when they all get together, behave and do bad bad things, or at least talk about, so it. or at least things. talk about it. And then suddenly, somebody stumbles into this group, and just bad things are happening, and then people get uncomfortable. So, so, so a little history. Uh, the X card was invented, I believe, by a gentleman named John Stravopoulos. He is a Yep, he's an indie game designer. We are very familiar with the X-Card uh, methodology because we like indie games and we follow that kind of stuff. Uh, also, if you like uh, games like X-Men, he's making a game called Mutant Hearts. You should probably check it out. X-Men with an X-Card? So, I like that. Hey. Yeah. It's based on the Apocalypse World stuff. If you like Apocalypse World games, if you love, then that's good. But um, yeah, like this is, this is a great suggestion. I think there's nothing wrong with the X-Card. The X-Card is a great thing. It lets people just tap the card, not interrupt the game to stop the scene, and, and keeps people from getting triggers. Um, I know there's a lot of uh, discussion out there sometimes about how the X card is terrible because, you know, we don't really need this. We should be able to get by without it. But I'm like, why would you eliminate having this wonderful tool, especially when you're playing with strangers? Yeah, people get up on the whole, don't censor me. I want to play the character I want to play. If an X card comes up, suddenly they become even more nasty. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, like, I, I like this. And, and to tie it back to the topic of con games, I really like something like the X card when you're playing with a group of strangers. So one of the things which I've never been able to do is play like fiasco with strangers because I'm never comfortable enough to actually be the, the horrible person that I really am on the inside. That's a very good point. <laughs> fiasco does involve a huge amount of trust. You are absolutely spot on. I, did, I didn't think about that until now. Or violation yeah, so, of trust at least. Well, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and and you know, depending on which play sets you're playing, you, you know, some of your you know darker humor. So, I, I I do like the idea of an X card if if you're going to play a game that has that potential of you know c- crossing any boundaries. Uh, I, you know, I, I think it might be weird if you're playing like a straight up Pathfinder game and all of a sudden you put the X card out on the table. It's you know, I could people see may it. get confused. What I could it's s- there for, but I could see it with fate though. That's where you find the treasure. You dig there. Yes, that's our oh, X marks the spot. No, I could see it with something like fate though, where people are uh, reaching for aspects and trying to come up, and perhaps they may, especially if you're dealing with a supernatural game or even a, a murder mystery game, things might get a little um, uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. I, you get into kind of some body horror things that people might not be exactly down with. I'm, I'm actually, without giving away any details, so I have to be like really a, a obscure about this because I'm still working things out with the publisher, but I actually was just doing a whole bunch of research um, on this topic of, of safety at the table and the X card, and I actually talked to John, um, who created the X card, and so I had a really good... Um, dialogue with him about the whole idea of player safety at the table and you know we talk about in terms of of the con game but it is actually just as important at a a home game and 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 sometimes even more so because you get so familiar with your friends that you know you push a boundary and little did you know that you you know you've kind of ventured into a topic that somebody might have had you know some terrible experience with that Never felt like sharing that at the table. That actually happened at a con game with uh, w- amongst Happy Jack's crew here. Uh, Kimmy even talked about it. She had an experience mm-hmm. that happened, and then Bill had a, a, a game on uh, and didn't do it on purpose, but it right. touched a trigger point, and she ended up in tears. And Bill knew immediately when it left his, his mouth that what happened. So uh, it's it's it can happen, and it, it's funny to me because it's something I never thought about. 
It's, I, I've always played with just a bunch of people, and, we, and sometimes we would just get really terrible. Well, back in the Stone whatever. We didn't, we didn't worry about things like feelings. No! <laughs> we were a bunch of teenage boys. No. They don't have feelings. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're broken. So, it's something... This is a kind of a new thing for me to actually have to think about it. And feelings? I, I, what? What? Girls have those. <laughs> but but now there's girls in the group, so maybe yeah, i got to make an extra card. you got to blame them. Aha! No, you know, I, I really... I, my my preference is to avoid really edgy topics in games for the most part. I don't want to yeah. deal. I don't want to deal with them. I don't like them. But I mean, I, and I thought, and, and I would generally think that for the most part, I, I wouldn't implement something like this. But then, but at the last, well, no, you put, you put your Cthulhu game. You had people with like a little child watches or watches mom's eyes get eaten out. No, the, no, she ate her mom's. Oh, eyes. right. Okay, all right. No, that's not a trigger. But that's <laughs> so rare. No, I mean, come on, like, really? like seriously, like seriously, like a Cthulhu game like that. We, we there's um, when you have games that have like magic and things like that, there's a bit of a disconnect. Like you have that barrier of this is not real, so it's like watching television or, or something like that. You, yeah. you, I mean, you're at the pl- table, you're playing, you're you're doing these things, but there's a bit of a a barrier between that. It's uh, I, I believe that the X card. I mean, it is good for those games too, but it was all. It was really important for games that where there was a lot more bleed happening. And bleed for those who might not know is when you are playing characters that are so close to being more real or being more for you that your emotions actually bleed into the character. So when things happen emotionally, you actually get affected by it. It's method well, I acting. Think the, the thing that, that I think yes. kind of changed my mind about about it. Was with Gina talking about? She was at a game con and they were playing and they were playing like a Vietnam era or a Vietnam War yeah. era game. And they're like, "Oh, we're gonna go take turns with the the hooker or what? No, it wasn't the, even a hooker. It was like the the village girl or whatever, yeah, right?" And it's like, okay, now if I had that nightmare guy at my table, yeah, I need to do something. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I, I'm gonna tell you, I, that I'm not gonna come up with as that. a 15 year old boy. I mean, I remember. That we did stuff like that, but we had such a disconnect, and we had no feelings. <laughs> yeah. I, I think in, in in the in the groups that I've played in, where I've seen it come up in, in home games was a- after a number of us became parents. Yeah, like all of a sudden, certain topics just weren't possible. And and I even see this. I mean, in normal life, like I used to be able to watch um, was it that Law and Order SVU, you know where. That you know, horrible things happen to like little kids, and then I had two kids, and now like I just won't watch that show. Yeah, I can't watch that show either. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. all it, kinds it, of shit becomes unfunny once you have kids. Absolutely right. So no, shit becomes funny. Where... <laughs> shit absolutely is hilarious. As a as a Correct. as a non parent, I found shit not funny. But now that I'm a parent, having changed a bunch of diapers, I've got shit all over me. Look at this. <laughs> it's hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's that moment in parenthood when you realize that being thrown up on is better than than cleaning the couch. Yep. Exactly. And look, we're laughing. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I had that exact same moment where it's like, no, I'm going to put my own body <laughs> in the way of that. Your like pea soup. Because <laughs> cleaning up the couch is going to save couch. the ottoman. <laughs> Yeah, that exact thing happened. That's hysterical. Sorry, we inter- we derailed your absolutely pointy <laughs> point. Sorry, carry on. No, but I, to to that point, I think what what happens is you know it's one of those subtle things. You've been playing with a group of guys for years, and then people start having kids, and suddenly 
you know, you can't have a scene where something happens to the kid in the village or something because all of a sudden people are starting to have feelings that they didn't have before. So it, it is, I mean, there are those cases where home games suddenly uh, can venture off into areas that that break that, that safety. I, I think it's a scientific fact that the male mind doesn't fully develop till I think it's about 60? 23... <laughs> Maybe twenty four. Like I'm sure. The, I'm sure the community will correct me on this, but 60. but but it's certainly not at eighteen. It's not forty eight, and it's certainly not at twenty. It takes a long while, and and I know I know that stuff I found funny at eighteen. I don't find funny now, and 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 really the turning point was not necessarily children, but I just gained a certain maturity where it was like fart jokes are always funny, but having sex with dead bodies. Is not funny, but just weird and odd, and I'm just done. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. You know that kind of thing. Because I found it like so funny as an 18 year old. Oh my god, let's have sex with the dead body. Now I'm like, no, that shit actually happens. That's not really funny. <laughs> that's that's it right there. That shit actually really happens. Like you actually yeah. believe that that stuff happens. So now it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. right. There, enough, enough with Stork and his beating that dead horse. Yeah. Hey oh <laughs> I didn't say we're having sex with it. I, I gotta, I'm not in charge. I don't have to moderate this stuff. I'll let Stu do it. Go ahead, Stu, moderate. <laughs> I'll do I'll do Jacob. Yeah. You read Jacob's email? Go yeah. Go. Hey douchebags. I have an idea. I think it would be awesome. Here it goes. <clears throat> My group should make the world fantasy no gunpowder. I will find a map, no names, so I would have each make his slash her area, including race, and then I would connect the dots. The twist, after time, an adventure or two, they will see either countdown numbers on their arms or something similar. At the end of the countdown, they will go into stasis or time jump, etc. And they will wake up a hundred plus years in the future. This will happen after every one to three adventures, if possible. I will have the characters advance either their own or or in another's area. My thoughts. Is fantasy, gunpowder, steam engine, diesel engine, World War One, gangster, World War Two, spy era, modern, Shadowrun, riffs post-nuclear? Riffs. <laughs> thoughts on character advancement and character may have been raised to God in the eyes of the public. Have they totally destroyed the goblin poop or goblin pop, etc.? The player would get very easy access to new skills via the neuro implant or similar, depending on where the world was. Is this a good idea, or am I a douche? Best. Uh, I think it's a great idea. You need a system to play it, and I think Stu has one for you. Also, have fun doing research. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's a lot of work on the GM for sure. I'll go last. I was going to say, if you're going to run this, it's a system. It's just a system dependent thing, and there is one only one system I can think of that'll make it work, and that's GURPS. And GURPS and, will cover uh, you could do, all you could of do it. You could do it in fate. You could do it in fate. You could, except that GURPS actually does some of the work for you. Like you know how much a howitzer will do, and you know how much damage a sword will do, and you know how much yeah. like how how far they're, they're black all, power will work. There almost is a world book based on a, a similar idea, which is. Uh, I can't think of the name of the goddamn book. It's that it's that infinity, uh, the, the time infinite thing. worlds, infinite, infinite worlds, worlds, right? Sure. Oh, yeah. go, go ahead. So yeah, you're going to say fate. 
it well, Chris had said fate, and I, I think you could. I mean, you could do it with one system, or you could do it with multiple systems. There's a um, there's a, a game John Wick put out. It's it's I don't even know if it's not even a game. It's like a meta game kind of thing because it kind of sits above the role playing game that you're using, and it, it's called Flux. And the idea is that it is uh, like a meta plot thing that he created to tie together playing the same characters in different systems in different campaigns. And it's like a $5 PDF. And so you could go the GURPS route. You could, you know, I, you know, you know break out the big tome of, of GURPS source books. One system gonna, to rule them all, one system one, to find one, them, one system to bring them all, and in GURPS bind them. But but the other thing you could do is, like, you know, with, with um, John's Flux idea, you could just pick your favorite your favorite setting, your favorite game for each one of those settings, and just transport the players along. Now you're going to have to know a whole bunch of settings, or I'm sorry, you're going to have to know a whole bunch of games. Why which... would you do that to yourself? I love games, though. I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I love learning. Yeah. Do your players want to go through that? Do they really want to do homework yeah, every three they... adventures? Yes, they do because I'm one of his players <laughs> and I'm also one of his game masters. So yes, I, I love playing different games also. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm system promiscuous. I will I I will play every game and and then like play it for a little bit and then be bored and well oh, just well this looks this game looks nice. I'll you should, play this game. You should have a long running affair with Amber Diceless. She's great that way. Mm. She's a. She's I did that. I did that in the nineties. Yeah, oh, yes. I almost failed out of grad school because of that damn. Game. Yes, well she's a she's a she's a whore that that woman there. Amber Diceless ran, is. Yeah, I ran that game in grad school with for what was it, five, six people, and I was running it weekly. So I was essentially writing five to six different adventures every week. And, you know, I was taking notes in the middle of class instead of paying attention <laughs> to class. I was You're in grad school. My... Yeah, all you need is the, yeah. the, the point value. You don't actually need the grade. <laughs> no, it was, it was bad. I actually, I actually ended that campaign. I tanked the campaign before my qualifying exam because I was afraid I wouldn't have time to study. So I let one. I let one player totally Pearl Harbor all the other players. <laughs> it, it, it could have been a gaming horror story the way I let it go down. But we'll save that for a future for a future discussion. By the way, Phil is disappointed that there's no gaming horror story on his second episode. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know my never, first one there wasn't either. I'm, I was. I looked. I saw the notes. And I'm like, oh, let me see. Let me see. Is there one? No. I haven't put a plug in for for new emails. Since like before fair, so since March, yeah, we're still we're still retreading. I'm still I, I still have a solid month's worth of worth which is of, not a bad thing, by the way. People, please still keep writing in, but we're still we've got a lot of stuff. Stu's giving me the luck. I, I just, will say, though, just I will say I <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I will yeah. say I'm still recovering from the last horror story about the one where the couple was was playing oh, other see, people's characters. Some of them get so dark. Yeah, that's so was, gross. That was very, that was very wrong. So let, let me Although just. I did laugh out loud when I heard it. Let me just say, Jacob, I, I think you're being a douche. I do? I, I do, and I'll tell you why. And this is from experience. I ran a D and D fourth edition game where the players had an opportunity at one point to go back in time, and they changed the course of history. So when they come back. All of history is entirely different. They still exist because magic, but no one they knew exists except for a tiny handful of people. All of their character backstories suddenly became irrelevant. All of the all of the contacts they had made suddenly mean nothing. 
all of the family members they had in their backstory, all of their allies, all of their enemies, all of their rivals, all of the stuff that these people had come up with suddenly means nothing in the game. And I had half the table look at me like I just killed their puppy. (laughs) And I think sandbagging the players with something like this, because I ended up retconning it. I ended up allowing the players to go back and undo what they did so that it what they had originally done to change the course of history never happened. Because yeah. because of the fact I had several players who were like, wow, all, all this stuff I did for my character is now meaningless. And that, I think, you you could have a similar problem. If you have players who make characters with that depth of well, he's richness. It sounds like he's moving forward in time only. Yeah. yeah Same even, problem. Even, even that, if that's not your premise, like if you didn't lay that out for the players and you said, hey, we're just playing a fantasy game and then the next thing they know, the next day they come to the table, they're now playing you know, a gunpowder game. That, that is kind of a bait and switch. Yeah, in a in a campaign, and there are there are game groups who would who would take that in stride. But yeah, I mean, I could easily see where you do that, and people are like, "But uh, you know, I invested you know all this stuff in swords, and now everybody has guns." Right. Yeah. Suddenly. Yeah. Suddenly, the big the big guy with the battle axe or the or the halberd or whatever is now. I don't move. I'm a dwarf, and I'm wearing full plate. I can't get to the guy who's going to pull the trigger fast enough. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I could say, I mean, it, it's one of those things, and this is kind of a, a kind of always been a warning flag for me because every time I've come up with what I guess what I refer to as like a, a gimmicky game concept, it's really kind of a one trick thing, and they almost never work out as well as I think they're going to. That's a very good point. The big reveal for the GM, it's like, Bada! Look at the. Why are you guys staring at me like I'm crazy? I, I think yeah. that's a cautionary tale for Jacob, which is after the first two or three time jumps, uh, at what point are the players going to go, oh, okay, we get it, nah, it's, we're done. I mean, yeah, that is, it's Can kind of a one-trick pony. The Martians? Yeah, right? Now, now here, I'm play, uh, I'll play counterpoint, I guess. Okay. Um, so here's the thing. If you want to do this right, like, like Phil said, and, and like you guys are alluding to, do not drop this on the players without discussing it with them first, like, be like, here's the campaign premise. I want to do sort of a time hopping game. Are you guys okay with that? And then if or girls or whoever, you know, if you are you folks okay with that? And if you are, then bam, you got this game. You can run this game then. And then whatever you do in each period better be reflected in the next period that you jump to. Because then you can see that your actions in the previous period actually had an effect in the current period and people might even recognize you. There like, you go. Man, when you run into that his- yeah, when you run into that historian who recognizes your the symbol on your armor and realizes that you're Gundren the Goblin Slayer, right? And that axe is like, <laughs> you know, from a hundred years ago. No, or, that that's a that's a link to that period in time. It's twelve monkeys, he, right? They're looking through the history books, and yeah. there you are in the World War One. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, you're you're absolutely right, Chris. I mean, make make it count and be upfront about it. And Stu, I agree with you. I actually did that to my players once. I came up with this awesome. Um, transhuman idea of transplanting people into clone bodies and killing them in the middle of the game only to wake up and, you know, find out that, oh, those were clones that you were in. And I thought I was being so damn smart about the whole thing. And that session finished and they're all looking at me 
Like you, you took away me. all <laughs> my shit. You and I was so proud of myself. I was like, "Oh, this is such a great story!" And I did the big reveal, and it, exactly, like they just all looked at me like you're an asshole, and like <laughs> I had to. You know, and, and they were so pissed about it. And well, I, you they, know, I, in hindsight, were they right? Um, <laughs> I, you know what? I probably was. It was well. You know what? And I'll, I'll tell you why it was. A, I'll tell you why it was a dick move. Here, here's why it was a dick move. Because in the game, they they didn't have a lot of materials. Like they were they were fairly poor, and they scrounged for a lot of stuff. So when I when I cloned them and put them in new bodies. I also gave him access to, like, every weapon in the book. And so they were running around with all the big guns. But then I killed them all, so they didn't get to keep anything. Yeah. So when they woke up, they woke up poor again. Uh, (laughs) I think uh, more than that, you also took away just, you know, player agency. But but bringing it back to the system again, if uh, I agree with you with everything you say, but if you're going to jump around systems... Please let your players know you're going to jump systems so they have mm-hmm. a chance to brush up and bone up on the system. You guys loved systems, but if somebody just, like, if I show up at a game and somebody drops a new game on me, a new system on me, uh, uh, fuck, what? I'm don't. What? I'm an outrageous gamer. I would table flip. That would, that, would, that would piss me off. I'm like, I made this character. I was, starting to get, I was starting to get caught up, and all of a sudden you've changed games on me. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, Chris would walk out. He doesn't table flip, but he will get up and walk out of a game that he doesn't like, regardless of who runs it. I, I have done that twice. I have actually got up and just left. <laughs> Do you say anything or you just walk out? Uh, I, I get up and I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't play this game. It's no fun for me, and I just need to leave because I'm getting angry, and I just leave. <laughs> that's awesome. No, that's I've, done that. I've done that twice. The first time I ran a game for him, I was terrified. I was like, he's going to get up and walk out of the middle of this thing. I can't... I, I know what's going to happen. And <laughs> he didn't. So, you know, like, that's how I knew it was a good sign. Like, I was like, all right, that's, that's a good sign. And then I listened to the show because I wasn't on the show at that point. So I would listen to the show every uh, every week after the, after our game session because he'd, he'd dish about what happened during the <laughs> week. Waiting, so. waiting for your name to be called. <laughs> you, you should totally do that at a game at Gen Con. Just get up and leave. Just, just get up and leave. Get up and leave. <laughs> with, no, with, 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 with someone famous GMing. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. I get one of Monty Cook's new and air games and just get up and leave in the middle. Like, I'm sorry, you're not that good. <laughs> you might be surprised. I've actually listened to actual plays. I'm like, hmm, that's not a game I want to play in. Anyway. Oh, man. <laughs> are you, you guys are thinking about it, aren't you? Next one. Are you? Are you saying the Emperor yeah, well, has one no more clothes? Thing the next one. All right. Okay. All right. One more thing. So, so. You met this game mentioned Shadowrun and Rifts, and those are probably two of my most favorite settings ever. And those games are terrible. I don't know. <laughs> they are, are, aren't they? Shadowrun is uh, Shadowrun oh, is designed to do one thing and one thing only, and it which God, is everything. It's, uh, it just, well, but it's <laughs> it's um, it's so hard to run. I, I, I yes, that was actually one of the games. Again, tying it back to the original topic of uh, for tonight. That was a game at Gen Con when third third edition Shadowrun came out. I hadn't seen it since first or something, and I was like, "Oh, I'll sign up for a con game because, you know, I, I maybe it's different this time." Because I let me say this: I love the setting of Shadowrun, but Shadowrun is like the bad girlfriend of, of role playing games. Like, <laughs> I can't leave it alone. And every time it's like, no, honey, it's going to be different. It's going to be better this time. My rules are streamlined. And, and every then, time like, you play I, it, I, you, it ends up Neuromancer with magic. 
Well, I find out, I, I, I start playing it, and then I find all my shit on the front lawn again. It, it, it's a bad girlfriend of role-playing games. And every time I go back to her, like, every time an edition comes out, I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm like, I should give, I should just buy the core book. Like, I'll just, like, I'll just give it a try or something, and it, it kills me, because I've never been able to leave that game alone. Yeah, everybody has a weakness. It's, it's... It's why I have so many six-sided dice. <laughs> That's not hero. No, no, it's Shadowrun. It, it, you know, a couple bricks of chess X dice because because Shadowrun. <laughs> All right, because reasons. Because <laughs> reasons. Uh, play the iOS game. That's what you should do if you love Shadowrun. Go and play Shadowrun Returns on the iPad or something. I oh, really? oh, I didn't even know there was an iOS. I didn't. Oh, it's great. It's fantastic. Yeah, it, it's Shadowrun without all the rules. And okay. if you're a console, if you're a PC gamer, they have it on Steam. So there you go. Oh, and really? it's super cheap. It's like, What's it called? It's like less than ten bucks. Shadowrun Shadow returns. Shadowrun returns, and you get, it's a PC gamer. All right. Yep. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna stuff. read the. I'm gonna read the next email because we talked about. We had one of those subjects that came up, and which was social conflicts and player agency. And it was months ago. Uh, yeah. And we had a shitstorm on the forum about it, and I got a fuck ton of emails about it and i kind of sat on them for a long time because i was going to do an episode but last week we had starting to we had three brand new first off the emails are starting to smell right a little ripe because some of these emails are like from like may so yeah but we had three new people here last week three totally different perspectives so we read one and we got two different perspectives who aren't on the show all the time so i have an email about the same topic so maybe we can get some uh, i see what you're saying you're gonna air our dirty laundry and perhaps we can have some thing news said because there are two new people and we can have maybe Ah. two more people agree with me (laughs) here we go (laughs) i can't can't wait i saw this email and i was just like licking my chops waiting for you to read it all right (laughs) email from andrew from yorkshire now then now then, there it is. <laughs> in your last <laughs> podcast, uh, you were talking about social conflicts and made the suggestion that game you that using game mechanics to resolve social conflicts results in a loss of player agency. It doesn't necessarily have to be the case. It depends on what what it means to win social conflict. To and wait, wait, wait. To win what social. It, what it means to win a social conflict. Okay. An interpretation that I like is this. Just because you win a social conflict doesn't mean that you change the character's mind, i.e. mess with their player agency in the case of player versus player. What it means is that, is that the losing character can't come up with a convincing counter-argument to the argument that you have just made. If an impartial audience is there and the winner does persuade them, his point of view is correct. This impartial audience might include other PCs who don't really have strong opinions about the matter at in hand. It's up to the other PCs if they're impartial or not. For it example... Twelve angry men. In court, winning a social conflict means that you convince the impartial jury. You don't convince the defendant that they're actually guilty. Another example... In a scientific debate, you find holes in your opponent's argument, which stops the paper from being published, the grant application from going through, but doesn't convince them that they are wrong. 
When discussing deeply held personal beliefs, for example, killing kobold babies is good versus killing any kind of babies is bad, losing the social conflict leads to a kind of shaken outcome. I know what you're saying is wrong, but I can't put my finger on it right now. It should be up to the player to determine how the how this social shaken plays out. Perhaps the player, the, perhaps the PC plays for time. You're probably right, but let's sleep on it. Wait and uh, and see how how many there are. Uh, some other reason for delay, etc. Uh, or he chooses to give in and go along with the others, or he chooses to look away and ignore the actions of the others. As always, good RP in this situation is an opportunity to award Benny's XP sexual favors. I wish. Period. Uh, what do you think? Wise words or a load of bollocks? Bollocks! Andrew from Yorkshire. P.S. Now then, is a Yorkshire greeting. According to Urban Dictionary, it's pronounced now then. Oh, I didn't. I realized I was mispronouncing it. Um, <laughs> but what would I know? According to locals, I'm a soft southern bastard. P.P.S. Have a drink. I will do that. All right. All right. All right. All right, all right. He's right. He's right. That's a perfectly valid way to deal with situations like that that have generally two uh, two opposing sides fighting over a third party. But there are like a billion other types of social conflict that could occur, and um, a lot of times what people forget is uh, the idea of leverage. Now, leverage does not have to be like, oh, I got blackmail on you or things like that. It could be something else more ephemeral, like love or you know, a, uh, a friendship, things like that. You are leveraging your friendship to get people to do what you want to do. But if you don't have that leverage, then you can't really convince somebody to do that. Like, you guys brought up, I think, last week, the, the you, know, you weren't there, Stork, but the town guard, and, like, if the town guard doesn't want to let you into the city, he's not going to let you into the city because that's his job, because he cares about his job and his family. Well, he cares about his job and his family. So if you bribe him with enough money, he'll let you in because you know that. And if, if then, that might just provoke a roll. Because now you're bribing, but you got the roll, right? So if you succeed at the roll, then he's like, okay, I'll let these guys in. If you fell on the roll, he takes the money, but you let them in anyway. And then that guy goes and reports you to the other people, says that you snuck in. Because that's a real fail. Because that's a fun fail, in, in my case. That's fail forward. Oh, sure. That's the kind of fail that I like. But that's the kind of social conflict that I think is relevant. Like, it's a, all about leverage. What kind of leverage that you can bring to the table to put on onto somebody else when you're in a, situ- a social situation. And then you can rely on the mechanics to help you... De- uh, determine if, if there should be even well you can use the leverage to determine if a role should even be made to see if the leverage actually matters alright I'll so, see, oh, I, oh, go, go ahead I, oh, go ahead so I, I was going to say I, I like I like everything that Chris said and I, I actually like the, the email as well I, I think there's two distinct arguments that are kind of blended together so the first one is if you're talking about PC versus NPC then everything Chris said, I, I absolutely agree with. And if that comes down to a role, I, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. Where I think I'm more uncomfortable is in the player versus player thing. If you've got two players that are standing over you know, a pile of cobalt babies, and one of them's like, we should kill these cobalt babies, and the other player's like, no, we shouldn't. I, like, I think that's a player thing. Like, you guys solve that. No one should, no one needs to be rolling, no one needs to be rolling that out. I think social... Those social combat, those social um, mechanisms work great when you're talking about either an individual NPC or something like um, two players are arguing um, their their different points with the magistrate, and you know somebody needs to figure out 
you need to figure out a way, how does the magistrate, you know, who does the magistrate follow? Does he follow the first player or the second player? Let, let me, player let me, versus player, I'm really wiggy about Let about me Let me interrupt you for a second. <clears throat> I want to play devil's or wrong person's advocate here. All right. Awesome. This this is the argument I hear, and 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 it and it has a certain amount of merit. If we're in a situation where we're having a social conflict, you and I are two PCs. I am Mister Persuady, and you are Og the Barbarian with your axe. Mm-hmm. And when you say Mister Persuady, you've got a, a lot of charisma I've, I've and got, or I've points got charisma, towards... and I've got persuade okay. skills or diplomacy or whatever well, I need. I want to try to convince you to go do this thing. My mechanical advantages that my character has when dealing with another player character are irrelevant. However, if we turn the tables and Og the Barbarian wants to try to convince me to go do something I don't want to do, but instead of using persuade skills, he uses his axe skill. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, that's very effective. Yes. Well, I is think that, that goes to Chris's thing. That's leverage. Yes. <laughs> well, Ogde, Ogde barbarian is Ogde barbarian's applying leverage, which is I'm going to shove this axe in your face if we have to keep talking about this this point. Right. Well, um, yeah, I, 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 I actually I agree with you, and I think part of the problem is I think most games handle social mechanics incorrectly. They, they handle mm-hmm. social mechanics like an attack. Yes, and the way yeah. social mechanics really need to be a research skill. It is a way to yes. either read or identify those sort of weaknesses. So, as you said, you can find the leverage. What is this guy interested in? What does this guy want? What can I offer this guy to get him to do this thing that might be against his best interests? Maybe yeah. that exists, yeah. maybe it doesn't. But the social skills are not... Yes, I've convinced you to do something you don't want to do, but here's the tactics I can use to get you to do that. Correct. Yes, I'm with you 100%, Stu. Yep. Um, I, I had the Og the Barbarian uh, situation. I was playing Og the Barbarian, and there was a rogue in the party, and he was like, I want to convince you to do something. And I'm like, first, I, we were playing D&D, like 3.5. This is a long time ago. Um, and I was like, when, when he got frustrated, I'm like, look, man, what do I care about? Like, you've, you've been adventuring with me for a while. Think about how my character thinks and what he does, and then use that. And then he could have... And with you, like, you have this skill, and it could be investigation or even empathy. Like, maybe charisma is empathy in this case. It's, it's your ability to read people, and that gives you insight to the character. I mean, in Fate, it's really easy because people have aspects, and by making that empathy role, you can reveal an aspect, and now you can use that aspect as leverage on the character. Right. And that's a great... It's a great mechanic for that. Like, now... Now you have a mechanical thing. Like I'm going to convince you because you know you're you. That that PC versus PC thing is tricky because people are always like, but player agency and stuff. But I'm like, I'm always like, you are not your character. Your character is a separate entity from you. You are playing the character. You are advocating for the character, but you are actually not the character. The character is an individual that you are there operating. And yes, he can be affected by the mechanics of the game also. And the internet just yelled at me from Jacker Nation. So, sorry guys. That's just how I feel. <laughs> Did they really? Let, they me, let, me, let me tack on to your let me tack on to your point. Both of your points. Because I think what I would like to see in a game is if I have a player-player situation and the persuaded guy makes, his, you know, makes a role and he's successful, then I, I think the outcome is, instead of saying, hey, you have to do what I say, I would rather the outcome be 
the for the player who makes the who passes the role looks at the other player and says, "What would it take me to convince you to do this? Right? Like, yeah, what would exactly. what it would take to convince your character to do this? And, and then let that go into part of the game because then what you're saying is that the social skill is that read. Like, I'm reading you, and I know that Og the Barbarian, you know, Og the Barbarian loves money. So, you know, I make my check, and I'm like, Og, how much money would it take you to let me kill all these cobalt babies? You know, is it a fifth of the share of the treasure or whatever? But I think that's more legitimate. What I really dislike is when games turn that persuasion skill into non-magical mind control. Okay. Like where, where you're, I, I, that, that's, that's what I don't like in, in, a, in, a, social, in a social mechanic. I'm of, I'm of two minds about this. I agree with you guys a, a lot on a lot of things. Maybe because I'm a clever guy and can talk my way out of a lot of situations. That's how I survived high school. But I'm playing... It, it, okay, it's kind of <laughs> system dependent, but I've, I'm playing a game where there's a stat and there's a dice roll attached to my ability to convince somebody I want to use it. What, what makes it any different than uh, uh, using you swinging your sword and hitting somebody than it would be to swinging your voice and, and affecting them? Oh, well, I have stats that are built. how it would. Well, okay. Uh, but there's a stat attached to it and there's a roll attached to it. And by saying that the barbarian can, can threaten you with his axe and, can, and has a role that can affect you, and meanwhile you can't role-play your way out of this, you, you can come up with an effective argument, you've taken you away, you, you, actually, you've, you actually now have a, a double standard that you are now enforcing <laughs> as a GM. Do you, do you want me to get on my not-all-games-do-everything-well rant? No, no, not at all. I mean, but that, but that's why that's I said, I, I, I did preface it by saying it's system-specific, right? I, it, yeah. for, for games that have that stat involved, you need to honor the stat. You need to honor those roles. Well, now, and, I, and, I, and, I agree, and I agree with you on that point, which is, the problem is, is that many games just don't do this well, or wrong. But that's and not the so point. The so point here, is, if, here, if you're I'll playing said game, if you're, Pathfinder has it. If Hero has yeah, it. Here. Try doing a presence attack in here. Hero, and, and then not saying, no, I'm not going to let you make a presence attack, you have to talk your way out of it. What? Here's the Pathfinder <laughs> mechanic. Here's the Pathfinder mechanic. You roll that charisma check, and that will improve somebody's attitude towards you from one uh, from one place to another. So if you improve another PC's attitude towards you to, to friendly, then that person might not be might be more inclined to help you, which means then you should be able to ask them a question. But that's up to the GM to decide. Like you and the GM and the player. Like, look, see, I want to do this. See, but like, going to take to do this because we're friends. It ends up in shoulds and nebulous and house ruling. I mean, uh, let's take Hero with the presence attack. Let's bring it back to that. There's an actual stat for affecting the way people view you. It's an actual attack roll. You make a pres- I'm going to make a presence attack. That's what they call it. Well, and yeah. it's- you said view, but you said view you, right? View you. So it's like, how do they view you? Well, they, it, they might trust you more than Well, well I, yes. If you say, I want them to trust me more, I want to make a presence attack, or I want to intimidate them, I want to make a presence attack. So depending you're, on what how you're you going say to it, pose. I'm going to pose. Right. I'm going to I'm going to fly down with my giant bat-like wings in the dark and silhouetted in the in the light and say get out. Make a presence attack and they run. Or I'm going to land with the lights behind me and I'm going to hold up the the car and say, don't be afraid. I'm here to save you. And, and roll a presence attack and win. Yes, th- that's two different things, but they make the presence attack. You have to honor that stat and you have to honor that and you have to use that. That's that's where this thing falls well, I'm apart. With you, but what does that mean? <laughs> what, what does that mean, though? You, how do they how do they view you then after you succeed at the attack? 
Like, what is the fallout from that? Because you're not losing hit points. I, I don't know. That's that's where it falls apart. I mean, well, how do you... Yeah, that's the nebulous part. Well, the, in, the nebulous gonna, part comes in when you're talking about PC versus PC. Mm-hmm. I mean, because right. when... If I make a presence attack on you and succeed, if you have the ideal table where you've got very good players, and like and 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 like you said, you know, dude, you, you're a persuading character. You made a role. What what is it I want? You've known me. We've been playing this game for six months. Come on, think. You know, and that to to me, <clears throat> my my biggest argument about social mechanics and the people who don't want specificity when they're doing social mechanics is the the counter the counter argument to that has to do with combat like we 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 set out the, the the battle mat we all place our pieces on the table i can i can do social combat mm-hmm. i don't have a problem with that I, I, when you I'm, say social combat, you mean just roll the dice and see who well, wins No, no, no. I'm, I'm talking about let, let's let's sit down and, and role play out this okay. social conflict. All right. I'm fine with that. I love doing that. I'm the shittiest tactician there is. Well, I'm, so no, when you I see me. Oh, no, okay. I, well, we're, <laughs> you and me both. Since I'm a shitty tactician, but I'm playing the fighter, can I make a tactics roll to see what would be the best thing to do with this on my turn? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's fine. That's, there's no problem with that. that that's that, in the rules. Why not? <laughs> but, well, that, see, that, that's, that, that's, the, that's the problem I have. Is the, is the, oh, wait. Can I make a roll to see if I can talk my way past this card? No. No, no. You have to role play that out. Ah, see? There you go. With double standard. Right. I, I don't know. I let people roll. I mean, I would ask for some some converse, even if it's not like the uh, the acting part. At least some like, well, what is your what is your modus operandi? Right. Because like, how are you like? Are you going to bribe him? Are you going to be nice to him? Are you going to sweet talk him? Are you going to offer him something? There's actually a rule that I use. Um, it, it, it's very useful in this, but it's not specifically for social complex. But it's I have people rolled, and if they fail, I want to tell them. I want them to tell me how they failed. Hmm. So it, it could be picking a trap and say, "Oh, you failed. What happens?" It's like, "All right, so you roll your you roll your social conflict roll. You failed. You tell me what went wrong." So instead of you telling the player how they failed or their social conflict, you have the player tell you how they screwed it up, and I think that makes it better. It doesn't fix it, but it makes it better. Right. So yeah. I'm gonna take I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that Chris always says on our show, which which is. If social if social combat is a big deal for the type of game that you want to play, the type of, of characters that you want to play within within that game, you need to go find a game that has good social ga- social combat mechanics. So probably if, Game of if Thrones. If that's what you want to do, like if you want to play, um, if you want to play a fantasy game like Lies of Lockmore, where you know it's like a it's like a Ocean's Eleven heist kind of thing. Don't necessarily play it in Pathfinder. It doesn't have a robust enough social combat system. Go play something um, like Fate where you can use aspects and compels and things like that or leverage something like that. But I would say with the multitude of games out there that if your play style is is heavily focused and that this isn't just a, a fringe thing that came up between two players disagreeing about killing cobalt babies at the table but is really like a, a, a foundational element of the game that you want to run, just go find the better game. Because 
there are better there are games that do this yeah. better than I, I want to point yeah. out something you may not even know you said it it's a great turn of phrase which is social combat system mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't mm-hmm. I don't think we actually have come out and said that social combat but maybe that's a way of looking yeah, at it yeah we have have we okay I, don't, I hate to correct you alright no you don't <laughs> yeah, you, you, you know what why don't you I roll right now and see combat. which one is, is more convincing no look look at the tier I, I, see? I would just call it conflict it's yeah, just conflict yeah Right. I did use social so, combat, but yes. <laughs> yeah. If you want a game that has a great uh, social conflict system, it's definitely Hillfolk. Like, that game is yeah. all about drama. The way that it works is, like, if you have two people that are butting heads with each other, you each have tokens. And when somebody wants their way, they're willing to pay that other person enough tokens to get their way. And then that person has those tokens to inflict their will upon the game later. Because that game is all about creating drama. It's like creating that weekly TV show. It, it, right. it, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the system called the drama system? Correct. Ah, I, I have the book, so I'm not oh, really. completely talking out of my ass. Sure is. Yep. It's, uh, it's also so, nominated for Diana Jones. I was going to say it's nominated for an Annie. And, and, but by the way, it's Diana Jones Award <laughs> Annie. It's gonna it's gonna be like a runaway freight train. You, oh, you, oh, but Numenera. So there you go. That's a great <laughs> uh, game that has social conflict, but. What? What about Numenera? Well, you were saying that there's going to be a runaway with, uh, like with the Ennis. Okay. I mean, you could, I, we could argue about that for hours. No, we're not going to. I heard that Numenera is going to win the best podcast, that. too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris, you take that. Go ahead. Oh, no, man. no. Wait, let's, let's, you, let's say this I'm for later. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Put him on the How spot. How long do you want show to be? How long do you want to talk for? Let's, we can we can, we can do this. Like I'm really passionate about gaming podcasts. I think I think there's a standard that should be kept too. And I think the any judges might have, uh, and I've had a few drinks, but might have blown it this year as far as some of their nominations. That's all I'm saying. Have you read any of the old? Uh, a couple years ago, there was a blog post from a, any judge talking about uh, uh, gaming podcasts. How they hate podcasts? Oh, yes, fuck. I did. Oh, f- that pissed me <laughs> off. So much. Look, okay. Oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. go ahead. Look, no, look, no, look. go ahead. If you are, if you, if you love podcasts, and I, I, I pray to God that more of us uh, submit our podcast next year for the Ennies, go to the. You have until the thirtieth. Go to the Ennies website and vote for a guy named Garrett Crow to be a judge next year. He is a podcaster. Uh, he he runs a podcast called Threat Detected. It's a Star Wars actual play and other thing podcast. He he has lots of guests on his show and things like that. Go vote for him because he cares about podcasting. Are you guys so stacking the court? You guys are stacking the court, aren't you? I don't care you? about. Look, it, it, I'll, I'll, I'll say this on your show. If Garrett Crow gets nominated <laughs> to be a judge, I will not submit the show because he's my friend. <laughs> but I will. But I will Sorry, encourage was... everyone else to submit their shows. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 I submitted one or two years, and then after that, I'm like, I actually have to pay money to submit the podcast. Right, and for, and because we're the really? you know mature audience and stuff, it's yeah, it's a select group, so. <laughs> and we ramble on, and, and no, and, the, and that's one of the things that any judges are looking at, like a, a huge volume of material. Oh, boy, my and I understand that that part yeah. of it, and then here here we're we're you know fucking around. Are. Drinking and farting, and, we, and, and uh, we don't take ourselves seriously. And that's gonna that would piss me off if I if I was sitting in a stack of books and I've somehow gotten roped into reading all this fucking material to try to figure out <laughs> who's gonna win a goddamn award, and then I listen to our show, I would be a little ticked off too. 
Can't blame him. Look, I'm with you. I, I, uh, I wrote. Uh, his name is. Uh, I forget his first name, but his last name is. Uh, uh, white, white something or another. I forgot his name. But the guy who's the business manager of the Ennies, I actually wrote him an email. I said, like, look, I understand that there's a lot of podcasts out there, and it's hard to judge that stuff. But this is how I. This is the. These are the things that I feel should be a podcast should be judged on. And if you want help, I'm sure that we, myself, and some other people in the podcast community would be willing to do the podcast part of the awards for you. He said um, he appreciated the the information. He was going to send it over to the judges for next year, but the Ennies were always have always been about the people vote the judges in and then the judges select the nominees and then the people vote on the people that on the the nominees that the judges have picked. But that's that's what he said. I mean, he was nice about it. That and Morris, I understand that's it, that's that I guy Morris, or whatever his Twitter handle is. No, the, the 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 guy who's in charge of the um the, the business manager of the Ennies is somebody different. I think oh, his okay. name is Gareth, Gareth Whitehead. Gareth Whitehead, I think his name is. Oh, okay. So, uh, but he was um he was real nice, and uh, hopefully that'll help at least what I think is a uh, is a medium that should give, be given a little bit more respect as far as RPG gaming goes. And it hey, doesn't. I don't. We're I don't the, hate the, the Ennies. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna bag on them too much because if it, it, bottom line is that they are trying to get recognition and encourage what we're doing. We're never going to win one storm. We're not. And I don't care. Because <laughs> I'm not going to pay the money. I get to come over to your every Friday and drink beer. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm what? I'm just going to come out and say that, you know, I'm I'm fully in support of the NEs and, you know, I'm, I'm good like that. Um, Phil might have won several of them. That's why. <laughs> he has, Maybe yeah. nominated for he several was, this year as well. So. He, he was oddly quiet. Well, hey, congratulations! Wasn't he? Yeah, that, that is cool. It, it, it outside of the podcasting podcasting circle, it actually means something. <laughs> it it means something man, regardless. Look, man, I I, dis, I totally disagree, man. I put like hours and hours into my show every week. Like I swear to God, I work on that thing for like seven hours a week. <laughs> That's why Stu doesn't edit. I'll be honest. I don't edit a goddamn thing. He he did a comedy show where he edited exclusively, and it took like sixteen hours a week. And he was like, "Fuck, this is like another fucking job." Would take about would, would took like two days of yeah. work. Yeah, it sucked. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a lot of work to, to do something is. good. Yeah, now, I agree. another well, thing guys, about I like your show. It's fun. Thank you. The other thing that pisses me off about Gen Con and podcasts is like three or four years ago, I want to say it was. Was it Pulp Gamer Media? Someone was out there, and 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 they went to all of the seminars, or not maybe not all of them, but a lot of the seminars, and recorded them and posted them as podcasts. And then two years ago, it was picked up by someone else. It was some guy who owned a game company, and I want to say it was on the Eastern Seaboard, and he recorded a bunch of those seminars, and again they posted them as a podcast. It's called Live from Gen Con or something really? like that? Yes. Yeah, Live from, that live has, from Gen Con. Yes. Yeah. Has that been done in the last two or three years? It was done two years ago. It wasn't done last year. Okay. Um, I, I was... I, I can't... I, I don't have... I, I'll be a Gen Con, but I don't have the 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 resources of people to uh, to do Live from Gen Con. Otherwise, I would do it myself because I think it's really, really cool. See, I love that shit, and it just kind of went away. And, and, that's, and you know why? Yeah, well, because because the Ennies pissed off all of the fucking podcasters. That's why. Well, I was going to say it also yeah, just seems kind of kind of. It's like I'm going to go through and I'm going to cherry pick all these really cool things. And I'm going to make a podcast and I won't have to lift a finger. It's all these cool people are doing things and I'm going to win an Ennie. No, that no. I, Pope, I think it was was it Pope Gamer Media that did it like four or five years ago. 
I would think it was Pulp Gamer. I don't remember. You keep looking at me like I'm going to answer. I have no I idea. Know. That makes sense. But it, I mean, it was good. I mean, they it had sounds a cu- like them. Couple technical problems here and there, but for the most part, the sound was good. It was recorded well, and I mean, and and the and the the, the seminars were awesome. And then the next year, whoever it was that did it did a, did a very good job. And then it just kind of went away, and it's like, what the fuck? It's such an easy thing to do. I suspect there were Is legal it? things. It was like, if I give a speech, I want money for it, or you need to get my approval to post me on the what internet. What the fuck? Oh, anyway, let's go back to the emails. Okay. No, I- Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Let's see how else do that. I apologize. I'm way off topic. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, no. Oh, because that never happens on this show. I, lo- I love getting into the dirty <laughs> underbelly of, of the RPG community. So whose turn is it? It's here. Uh, Stu finished, so it's we're back to the top with Bill. Yeah, else. Oh, it's me. Look I love getting into the clicking. So hang What's clicking I'm chewing on a cough drop. Oh, That's okay. what clicking is. It, you know what? It's, it sounds like an old record skipping. Because we're old enough to know that. All right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so, uh, so email, email from Bill. Dear deities of douche, back in season eight, episode eighteen. Good times. Someone wrote in asking for advice. <laughs> Good times, right? Like the way back in the remember it. Yeah, I no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> wrote in asking for advice for how to run a game about the PCs playing sentient items. I ping pong between new and old episodes, so I inconveniently listened to the, this episode <laughs> just after John Wick finished his Kickstarter for a game he's designing called Wield, which I backed, by the way. I not, did not as well, email. and I'm waiting for my cards. It should be they're shipped, right? Yeah, mm. in which the players are just that sentient items. However, it sounds like he'll be releasing the game in the summer of 2014, which may coincide with when this letter gets read. He's right. I have an. He's right. <clears throat> Um, I have an obtuse connection to John. By the way, John runs a podcast called Wrestling School Sunday. You can check that out on John Wick Presents these days. Does he really? In that his father-in-law, yes, he does. Uh, he used to be on BS Radio, but Rob Justice stopped doing his show. So uh, it's now. I think it's going over to, to John Wick Presents. I wonder really if it's been nominated for an Annie. It's not. It's all about wrestling, so it's the history of wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> in that his father-in-law and his uncle-in-law, I don't know if that's a real thing, are players in the bi-weekly game IGM, games IGM. Typically, either in GURPS, uh, you can cheer now, Stu. Yeah! No? All right. Or Hero System. So even though I've only met John a couple of times, I'll I'll minimize the appearance of self-serving promotion and pimp another system. Arc Dreams Publishing's Better Angels seems very well fit for this. It's a one-role engine system that I understand to be similar to, but not exactly Wild Talents. I've not played Wild Talents yet, but perhaps at Gateway 2014. In Better Angels, each character is a supervillain powered by a demon. Each player runs one villain, and the demon powering the character to their right. This could easily be adapted to the sentient item scenario by exchanging the demon with the item, which are frequently demonic-natured anyway. So it shouldn't be much work to do. I know this advice is late, but you know what they say, better late than pregnant. Is the Amazon wishlist being maintained? Oh, there you go. I <laughs> talked right over that. Darn. There's some lag. Yeah. Is the Amazon wishlist being maintained? Kind of. I'd like to support the podcast by getting something, but since I haven't heard you mention it in a while, I didn't want to get an item that was no longer of use. I hope you never get tired of putting the podcast out, because I'll never get tired of listening. Keep on geeking on. Thanks so much for all the fun and inspiration. Bill in Arizona, ghost dancer on the forums. Not that I've had much time to contribute there in ages. And uh, Better Angels, if you want to hear that game being played, there's a huge campaign of it up on RPPR's actual play feed. Oh, really? 
it sounds really it. it sounds really cool, but it reminds me of the uh, back in the day with Stormbringer and uh, the Elric thing with the binding demons to your to an item. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it's actually I, I backed I actually backed that Kickstarter. It, it's a really cool premise that all superheroes. Um, all superheroes are basically angels that are embodied in people, and all vi- all supervillains um, are demons that people have taken into them. And, and the twist of the game is that that you play somebody who has taken in one of these quote evil demons, and you do all the the stupid things that a arch villain does, not because you're stupid or the demon's stupid, but you need to satisfy this demon, but you don't want it running loose and, like, killing a city's worth of people, so you, you know, create... You decide to create a death ray and then get caught by the superheroes. And <laughs> it's doofenshmirtz. So, right, the demon keeps, like, trying to goad you into doing stuff, and then you just kind of, like, half-ass it because you're, like, just desperately hoping that the superheroes will catch you and stop you in time. That's hysterical. It's, it's, it's a really neat concept. And oh, I hope Batman escapes from this because otherwise I'd be so bored. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And if I remember the, if I remember correctly, the way it's played, I'm trying to think. I, I think another player plays your demon. Oh, really? Yes. That's yeah. yeah. Player, Whoa. It was said in the email. Yeah. It's yeah. the player you're right that plays your demon. Yep. It's pretty. It, it's pretty cool. It sounds like a interesting thing. I'm not sure I could run a whole campaign with, like, you know, somebody waiting to, like, alright, you're done now. It's my turn to take over. Because you can see <laughs> you got oh, a group yeah. of four players. Each one's playing the same player, and they're fighting to take control. <coughs> hmm. Well, that's a different game, actually. Being Chon. Everybody's Chon. What? Everybody's Chon. Isn't there a, like, Being John Malkovich or role-playing game? Ah, everybody's Being John. Or... There's a, like there's that. one where um there's one where there's one hero and four there's one player and four game masters and the game masters play like the fates or something and they're like constantly dicking with the hero. <laughs> well, that's what GMs do I, I anyway, Brian. I just can't remember the name. Yeah, I don't remember the name, but I remember the game. See all <laughs> all these systems you guys have played. See, if we just did this in GURPS, it'd be so much simpler. <laughs> I'm gonna read the last one here. <laughs> Uh, email like from it. Hangman. Hey, Stu, figured I'd mention this beer and pretzels RPG I once saw on the internet. And this, I, I got we got to play this. Okay. The site uh, it was hosted on has been down for a couple of years now. But luckily for you, I believe I've remembered the rules. Ah, excellent. <coughs> the game was called All Out of Gum. And it was decidedly simple. Wait, wait. I think I know where this has come from. They live. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You have one stat. Bubblegum. That's it. (laughs) It starts out at an eight at the beginning of the game. Anytime you want to do do anything that could not be considered kicking ass, you have to roll less than your bubblegum on a D10. Oh, I'm loving this. If you fail, you have to chew a piece of bubblegum, and your bubblegum stat goes down. Yep. If you're doing something that could be considered kicking ass... You have to roll above the bubble gum on a D10. If you fail, chew a piece of gum and reduce the stat. Wow, that's a. It's, the odds are stacked against you about kicking ass here. At first, 
Aha. <laughs> You're right. The good news is that if you, as you continue to fail, you get better at kicking ass. The bad news is that eventually it will become impossible to tie your shoes unless you can somehow turn it into an ass-kicking experience. <laughs> Finally, a game stork couldn't possibly fuck up. No, she's right. Hang on. <laughs> I, I love that her. game. I love that movie. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Stork, when he has to roll uh, low, he's just going to roll a 10. Right. He's still going to stork it. You're right. You're on to me. <laughs> it's true. Whatever I yeah, need to get, really I will not roll. roll low. Right. right. It's it, an oppose, it opposes the system that you're playing. It, it, it's I'm a black cat, really. If if you need to get something good, the, it will not happen. If you need to get something bad, it, yeah. Either way. You know what, though? It's bullshit in L5R. Well, because L5R... That's because I You built, have never rolled poorly in L5R. Well, that's because I the last character I built, I stacked everything into one thing. And so, it, it may also be the fact that the highest number of... But that's roll and keep, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, so the dice are faked out. They actually don't know which way to go. They don't know if they're going to be selected. No, so. you're, you're right. Some of them are 10s and some of them are 1s. It's true. I really don't have anything in between. Most of the time, it's it's one or the other. You know, that's a very good point. My uh, and, my and black cat power. And, and maybe the zeros, maybe the dice think that the zeros are or zeros. Actually, they're like not aces. They're not, they're not 11s, they're 1s. Right. <laughs> Could it be. may be a stork-proof system. I like the bubblegum thing, though, too, because they get to chew bubblegum. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And, and They Live is a great movie. In fact, I have to say, I was uh, looking at uh, Comic-Con pictures from the recent Comic-Con, and there's a, a bunch of people walking around in a t-shirt saying, you know, this is this is your God, and uh, I'm dressed as They Obey, Live. Obey, consume. Yeah, all know. of that. It's yep. come back around. It's become part of the zeitgeist. I love That's that. Awesome. Mm. I've come to kick ass and shoot. So if I, <laughs> yep, yeah. So if I was going to run this game at a convention, I would bring uh, packs of bubble gum for each of the players, with mm-hmm. pieces in each of them, and that's how I would present the game. Yep. You know, what? Pretty, pretty soon I see what you did there. You were the table. you're tying it back in with our very beginning. It was like, what would you do with a convention? Ah, uh-huh. that, that, that that actually reminded me of something when I run when I run my moment of truth game and and the players are all going to play old retired old men mm-hmm. each player is going to get an old man hat and a pair of suspenders <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> that's awesome so i have to I have to select the right hats it's I, so much it's so much better than the colostomy bag that you had originally cuz i thought that that was a bit <laughs> presumptuous the colostomy bag in the depends i thought was a bit too much but the the i could someone could have like a bag of catheters oh well now now Stu, doesn't doesn't your game have some sort of um token like currency yes it does so you got to get like a you got to get a thing of geritol <gasps> oh, that'd be oh yes! And AARP memberships because they're all getting them in the mail now. You know, just hand those out. <laughs> well, I, I I want oh, the game. Man. See, instead of the game starting in a tavern, I want it to start in a diner. Were they all gonna? No, a go. cafeteria. No, it's gonna be a yeah. diner because they're all gonna get separate checks. No, it's a cafeteria they're and, because they're all they're, they're all gonna, old. They're, they're all gonna sit and bicker about the oh, bill. That's a very good point. <laughs> Dude, I'm with you. I'm with you, Stu. Put it in a diner. That's an awesome idea. So then, Stu, Stu, your opening then is like is like the old man version of Reservoir Dogs. 
<laughs> oh, see, it's writing itself. It's perfect. They're all in a deli. They're all like, I'm not paying the bill. You pay the bill. Oh, I'm not paying the bill. I know they make enough money. I'm, like, ah. I'm in separate checks. Oh, I give you exactly. I'll beat you with the pastrami. <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait for that game. I'm well, an old man games from the rest of my uh, life. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've made the first character. The first character is a... He used to he used to be an electrical engineer at Bell Labs, and then and he has like the ham like expert technician license or whatever it's called, the extra license like the mm-hmm. the highest one they have. So one one of his like abilities is to get on the ham radio and like get any piece of information he needs from some other ham operator. Oh, he's I can come up with dozens of, of awesome. You've got like you could have like the Nazi Jew hunter or the Jew Nazi hunter. Or the other way around, you could. I mean, there's well, so many things you could get. A, you I've already got a like, premise for the game. All these veterans. <clears throat> it's every character is going to be built around one a weird hobby old men do. The baccarat player, the chess player. The, well, the, well there, there's the ham guy, and there's I don't even know what it's called, but there's there's these guys that go to the shooting range, and they have these guns that like clamp onto the table. Okay, they're, no, they look <laughs> they kind of look like sniper rifles. But they actually have, like, this table, and they, like, clamp the thing on. So the thing is, like, super, super solid. And they sit, and they fi- and they, and they fire, and they'll fire a shot, and then they go through the process of cleaning the entire gun. And, and, and setting it back up to... <laughs> have you, well, you've probably never been to a shooting range. No, but, not in a while. Well, you're a long-haired hippie. <laughs> but <laughs> the guy... The, I mean, no shit. I saw this... I haven't been to a shooting range in years, but I, I went and there was this guy at the end. And he's an old guy; he looked like he was in his sixties. And he sat and he had this dude that's like fifteen years away. Fuck <laughs> you! And he, it's actually not fifteen years away. It's maybe wow. 20, 21 it's years away. Oh, <laughs> Remember, man. I just had a birthday asshole. Oh yeah, so, <laughs> so, so nice to be the young guy. I swear to God. <laughs> but he's got this gun and it's clamped to this table, and this thing is like it's like a fucking vice, right? And he's and he's a long ass target. This target's I don't I don't even know how far away it is. And he fires one shot, and then he gets out his cleaning kit. He breaks the gun down. No, well, he doesn't break the gun down. Cleans the barrel out. Does this? Checks things. Gets his scope out and looks. And it's like a fifteen or twenty minute ordeal before he. Loads the next round. That's pretty awesome, though. It's an old man. Oh, I love that. Sits there, and he, I don't even know why he looks down the fucking sight, because you can't move the goddamn gun, because it's, it's yeah, but like moved. Fast he's got to recalibrate thing. the sights, and that's more fun. Right, so that's going to be the guy that has, the, the one guy in the party who has a gun. How about the guy it's that raises, that guy. how about the guy that raises pigeons? Oh, maybe a, uh, the pigeon guy. It's, he's the, you know, he's the he communicator. Yeah. He can, like. <laughs> no, they got the ham radio oh, guy. I mean, he's like, what about twice. That's you gotta the have tinker, the, right? the heart attack guy. You gotta have the heart attack guy. He's had like nine heart attacks, but he's fine. <laughs> he's like Red Fox. Carries uh, like oh, a bottle of the oxygen. Big one? <laughs> Maybe I can get like a fake bottle of oxygen for one of them, and they'll have like the little hose. See, it's writing itself. <laughs> <laughs> Nasal cannula. Yeah. Wait, this yeah, reminds you know, me of Bubba Hotep. Love story. It'll be good for a con game. <laughs> go go watch Bubba Hotep. That'll give you ideas. Right. It all takes place in oh, Ontario. Yeah, yeah, I should watch that again. Yeah. Love that. Love that movie. It's a great movie. Go watch it, people. Well, that's if the you want to see Black JFK, <laughs> that's right. That's right. 
So that's the end of uh, that's the end of the the emails there. Yeah. Um, I don't think we have anything left to so, talk about now. No. Uh, let me just let me just say that all uh, opinions expressed on the show about uh, the Ennies are not Phil's. Thank you. <laughs> yes, absolutely not. <laughs> and and while any voting is still open, feel free. That, you know, <laughs> Odyssey and uh, and Gnome Stew. And yeah. Phil, Phil, did, did, have, you've written something recently, right? Did you want to plug those as well? Um, yeah, we wrote. Well, Chris and I wrote together. We um, we wrote a supplement for the Part Time Gods game from uh, Third Eye Games called Return of Dragons, and uh, I also wrote part of um, another supplement that just came out for that same line um, called Minions of the Source. And Chris, you you just you had a short story published, right? Yeah, in uh, Ninth World Tales, the Mechanical Bard. So that's on Drive Through RPG. Ooh, I love there. that title. I, that's awesome. It's a it's, Numenera book. Oh well, okay. So, See, you're like slamming Numenera. I know, dude. I know. <laughs> and uh, I did, you me- did you mention Unframed? I don't think you mentioned Unframed. You have an article in Unframed that's from Engine Publishing. I did. I wrote an essay in, in Engine Publishing's recent book on uh, improvisation, um, and that's twenty-three kick-ass uh, authors. Twenty, twenty-two kick-ass authors, and myself. Ah, um, talking about <laughs> so twenty-four kick-ass authors. Yeah. It's about and improvisation, the, what, acting, or in, in game? No, for, for in, specifically for GMs. Oh, it's, Excellent. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's a, um, it's, it's a collection of essays, and so it's it's Robin Laws and Vincent Baker and... Um, uh, <laughs> the company you keep. It's, uh, I'm honored to have you on our podcast now. So I yeah, well I was honored to be uh, asked to, to contribute an essay for that. That was that was really cool. That's and pretty I guess awesome. the thing that we I guess the thing we should hard plug is the Dungeon World Adventure Dangerous Space Jail, which uh, uh, my new company Encoded Designs released. Um, and you know, it's we would love people to go buy it, download it, play it, hack it. Well uh, okay, so and give us I, is that that's the Dungeon World thing? Yeah. Yeah, okay, yes. that's what I was gonna give us the elevator pitch. What is it? So it's um, it's a dungeon world adventure. It's made it's made for like a one shot convention kind of thing, and it's about a group of adventurers who have uh, returned to town after successfully vanquishing some goblins. And in the middle of the night, uh, this floating fortress appears over the town, uh, and there's smoke coming out of it, and no one knows what's going on, and somebody's got to go in to figure out what's going on. So it's called Dangerous Space Jail. My uh, five year old daughter named it. And, um, and I love the name, so I, I ran with it. I'm going to send Sean and, Connery. Uh, yeah, it, and it's it's a little bit different than a traditional uh, Dungeon World adventure. It's a little more structured, but uh, it's got some neat mechanics. And it, it it like I said, it plays fantastic as a con game, one shot game game day kind of adventure on nice. Drive Through RPG. Nice. All right, love that. Take a drink. There it is. Well, 137 minutes. You guys must be young. You're so creative and have time to do stuff. Well, it's amazing. It's, it, and it's got to be like 1, at, 1 a.m. there. It is, yeah. It's, it's, it's on a Friday. Seven, oh, it's 2. Holy, holy. Christ. Now I feel bad. I'm going to close it up. That's nah, fine. Why? I wanted to come on here and talk to you guys. Till <laughs> <two in the laughs> I drank a, drank a mess of coffee. I'm I stuck in northern New York in the middle of summer. It's all humid and mosquitoes. i gotta, I got to do something. Uh, yeah, you got to be doing something better than on a Friday night than talking to us. We're just a no, bunch of not assholes. at all. Actually, it's my favorite thing to do is talk about games. So, fair yeah. enough. It is awfully, awfully fun to talk about them. All right. 
Well, thank you guys for coming on. I appreciate yes. it. Well, well thanks, thanks for having us. Having and uh, and we'll be on uh, on your next Monday. Oh, on maybe next, yeah. I don't know teaser. Maybe, Remember, because yeah, uh, something might be recorded, and then there's a lot of editing, and there's going to be some swearing, yeah. and yeah. So, so we record on Monday nights, but the, the episodes come out on Thursdays. So, uh, if, uh, Jacker Nation out there, if you enjoyed listening to me and uh, Phil talk about things, and after you download Happy Jacks and listen to that, and you want some more podcast goodness, come on over and listen to Mr. Ectomark podcast. Yeah, and, there you go. And where can they find Mr. Ectomark? www.misdirectedmark.com. That's that simple. Of course, I could just Google misdirected Mark. Sometime before Sunday, also, get me the, the, make sure I have the link for the con, Queen City, and if you can email me that, and whatever stuff you guys want linked in the show notes. So, because I'll I'll post, I I usually fuck around with posting the episodes on Sundays, so. Yeah, send us links. It'll make it easier, because I'm terrible about remembering to do that shit. I, will, I used to not have show notes. You know, I, I went through like eight <laughs> seasons without doing show notes. I know. And then all of a sudden we got like over 2,000 listeners and people no, were like, like no, I'd love no, to have more. Listener, listeners are like, you know, your your SEO would be much better if you had those. Would you please have yeah. those? I'm like, what do you care about my SEO? <laughs> I don't care about my SEO. <laughs> <laughs> and then and after a while someone's like, you know, I was trying to find a letter that you guys read and I couldn't find it. I really would. And I'm like, okay. That I care about. So, and then that was probably in season nine. I started doing them. I know. And now I take like like ten minutes to do like. Oh, jeez! The humanity post production that oh, I want to do. Did you say ten minutes? Yeah, I, may, I, I, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, maybe. You know, if we were sitting in the same room, I'd throw a die at you. <laughs> <laughs> Table flip. I literally, when this show is done, and I hit the space bar. I'm going to highlight the. I'm, I'll put the end song at the end, and I'll put the the little uh, um, Angry Folk Media Empire thing on, and then I'll select the entire thing and I'll set it to bounce because I use Pro Tools and Pro Tools bounces in real time. So it's going to take an hour and forty five. Well, no, two hours and yeah. twenty minutes for this thing to bounce, and then I'll, I'm going to leave. And then what, and then tomorrow or the day after, I'll come in and I'll take the wave file. I'll turn it into an MP3. I'll add the. I'll add the. Uh, Which also takes time. Nah, it doesn't take very long. Uh, I'll add in the 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 tags. I'll upload it, and then spend five or ten minutes putting in the show notes, and I'm done. That yeah. is my post production. Hopefully, you don't spill your beer in the process. It depends on what time. If it's in the morning, I may not have one. It may be my coffee that I spill. That's just sorry. You just think it. So yeah, I, I hate post production, and that's that's what killed my the, the angry folk I, I would, music and I was going to say because because you did a whole show where you were yeah. tightly edited and scripted and written. I and can't stand it. I you can't did like a year post. of it. Well, I do post production for all of the Boggart albums and the Wives albums, and I have to do all of the editing and all of the yeah. And I don't. It's not I, fun. No, I'm against oh, man. it. I got a I got a I got a friend who is in a, a local band, and they they do um. One of his bands does video game music, and they're fairly popular. They they go around to different conventions and things like that and play. And I know how much effort it takes to do the post production on music stuff. Like it's it takes forever. Like oh, yeah. to do like a, a five minute song is like that's like like forty hours, maybe longer. Like yeah. of like studio work. That's crazy. It, listening to every ridiculous. voice and balancing them. Yeah, and I mean, and our our band, the, the Bogards. I'm right now. I'm recording. I'm recording the Bogards' next album. 
and you've got what eleven vocal tracks? Eleven vocal. That's just the vocal tracks plus the instrumental tracks, and then probably five to seven vocal tracks per song. And then I've got to go in and edit all that, and because. And he's got to listen to it, and he's got to massage it, and, and I, I every to, track. And I already had to listen to it when I recorded all of it. Yeah. <laughs> and so then, by the time he's done, he hates his band, he hates the music, he hates everything. It's it's hard. Once <laughs> once the C, once a Boggard CD ships, I don't listen to it for like a year at least, if not more. I can't. I, I don't no think there's. I think there's no some CDs shit. you haven't listened to. How about the second one? What's the last time you listened to that? I didn't even record <laughs> that. That was a terrible CD. It is. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm, the ones that I've recorded and mixed. It, I literally have to wait like six months to a year before I can listen to them after I'm done because yeah. it's so much fucking time. I get it. I fucking hate it. <laughs> anyway, that's I hate you guys. Talk about inside <laughs> baseball. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna call it. Here we okay. go. <laughs> well, listeners of Happy Jackson, thank you for joining us for season twelve, episode eleven of the Happy Jacks RPG podcast. My name is Stu. This is Stork. This is Chris. And I'm Phil. And thank you guys for joining us for the Misdirected Mark podcast. Woo. And uh, we'll leave you with a song here. And don't forget about uh, Gateway and Labor Day weekend. And that's it.
but soon they're knocking on they're looking older than they should for every bob made on this job is earned with sweat and blood and it's go boy go they'll tighten your every breath and every day you're in this place two days near death but you go a process man will cry and i am telling you no lie he works and breathes among the fumes that tread across the sky there's thunder all around him and there's poison in the air there's a musty smell that smacks of hell and dust all in his hair and it's go boy go they'll tighten your every breath and every day or in this place you're two days near death but you go Seating program has been a presentation of the Angry Folk Media Empire. Bum, 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 bum.